0: Hi, and welcome to One Great History, the podcast all about the great and not-so-great parts of Winnipeg history. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Alex. And we're joined by our friend, producer, and this episode's host, Nick.
1: How's it going, everybody?
0: Good. Good. Excited to let you do all of the hard work this time. (laughs) Oh, so nice.
1: I did a lot of research. Let me tell you, I read so many articles, watched documentaries, um, did tons of research, like just... It's going to be good. It's going to be, trust me, this is, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't want to let you you ladies down this week.
2: Oh, so. well, that's Aww. very nice.
1: Yeah. Um, but first, before we even dive into it, uh, I got this text from Sabrina recently. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That was like, Nick, I've had another one of my classic mishaps. Yeah. <laughs> and... is it,
2: wait, is, I, let me, there are so many I could guess, but I'm going to guess, is it the car one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You want yeah. to tell us what happened yeah. to your car?
1: This is such a good... We got to kick off the show with this. Yeah. yeah.
2: So um, I was
0: driving home from work and I work out in Graham Beach and about 15 minutes out of the park, I run over what looks like a stick. There's a loud crunching noise. <laughs> and I think this, like, did it hit the tires? I don't know. So I pull over to look and I look under my car and a pair of grass shears have embedded themselves <sighs> into the bottom of my car. And I'm like... I what do I do with this? And I'm like staring at it. And this couple drives by and pulls over and are like, Hey, like do you need like a tire change? Like, can we help? (laughs) And they look underneath and they're like, it's leaking fuel. Yeah. We can't help you. You need a tow. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I call the tow company and they find out that the car is leaking fuel. And they're like, you have to call the fire department. And I was like, that makes sense. Okay. Um, on the phone with the tow company or with CAA, they also told me I was being very brave. (laughs) 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 Because I was, like, making jokes about it. I just
1: want to be clear, though. You also sent me photos of these, like, rusty-ass shears. Oh, yeah. That have been in the street for... Five to 200 years. <laughs> oh
0: no, they're old. Like, yeah But they weren't there when I drove home like two days before. So they must have fallen off of someone's truck or I something.
2: I used to have a neighbor who would throw things on the highway for fun. <laughs> so is that who got me then? Could have been. Yeah, so then I have to call the fire department and they yeah. come out. um It turns
0: out that the fire chief in the area is also my boss. <laughs> it's my boss and like five to six other firefighters around that that all come by and look at the grass and go huh haven't seen that before (laughs) and then take pictures and then like hose the car down and put down some sand and then offer to wait around with me until the tow truck turns up or my boyfriend comes to get me and then we're all standing around and waiting and I'm making small talk with these guys and then a different truck comes by and the truck is smoking and it's like pulling a trailer behind it. Wow. And they're like So the guy rolls his window down and is like, Hey, you need a hand over here. It's everything's good. And all the firefighters go, Your truck is smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, What? And then pulls over like two kilometers north of me and gets out and starts looking at the back of his truck. And the firefighters are all like, It's the front that's smoking. What is he doing? <laughs> and then out of nowhere here when they go, Oh, I see sparks. Oh God. And they all run across <laughs> to go deal with his truck. Wow. Yeah, and oh, then geez. um my truck got towed but it got towed after the smoking truck sky cuz someone was going north and just stopped to pick his truck up and take it with wow. him but i was going south so mm-hmm. i had to wait i was out there for 3 hours i oh, had a full no. tank of gas and all of it leaked out oh, yeah right and... now that's that's a painful every single yeah. person said hey like did you like did you just fill up or was it at least like half empty and i said no and they all went Oh, no. (laughs) Um, It was in the mechanics for three weeks because I had to replace the entire fuel tank. So the shears had punched through the muffler up into the fuel line and hit the tank. Wow. And when I talked to the mechanic about it, he said it was the craziest thing they'd seen in years. (laughs) Statistically, it was like winning the lottery. (laughs) And all the guys in the shop had a good laugh about it. (laughs) How nice of them.
1: And that's just like a, a fragment of a day in the life of sabrina <laughs> yankee yeah. like that's
0: yeah that's me i also got COVID after that
1: you did <laughs> <Yeah>. oh shit
0: <laughs> like very shortly yeah, after, after that yeah like within five days
1: wow so you're batting a thousand
0: i'm batting a thousand it's been a real strong june wow. coming up on top yeah <laughs>
1: well it's july and alex is wearing a great pumpkin Charlie brown shirt so
0: <laughs> yeah i mean my car is back we're feeling good <laughs> i do love this sweatshirt also it's, it's it cost me cool. a grand so wow
1: Plus the tank of gas, which is like a hundred bucks. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Woo! Yeah, so that's what happened to me recently.
1: <laughs> any any exciting uh, moments from Alex's I've world? I've been having
2: a great June. I managed to <laughs> not get COVID from Sabrina, which was very surprising to all of us, I think. Because <laughs> I have the world's worst immune system.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm you, I didn't see you after I got it. Or no, you did. I saw you at the bonfire. But the people that I got it from were also at that bonfire. Yeah, so and I also didn't get it from them. <laughs> So I'm doing great. We had friends that were in Toronto province.
1: Well. Yeah, I haven't had it yet either. But I have had like a weird throat thing for like 3 months. Mm. Oh, it's it fun just...
2: to, it's fun to convince yourself that things are covid.
1: Yeah, well yeah, <laughs> yeah we're I, both for great everyone's at that. like, yeah. yeah, this must be covid and it's just like, no, like it's a throat infection. I took antibiotics and then it was like it's still there. Like it just feels like mm. I've been like screaming for 3 days. Oh yeah. That's what my throat has felt and it feels like this like it'll feel like this after this podcast, but like after I've like talked for a few hours usually, it in the past has felt this way, but now it's just like this every day.
2: Oh, weird. That sucks.
1: Like since I started the job like huh. two months ago. Oh. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe because I'm talking to coworkers and stuff all yeah, day. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, whatever. Maybe. I
0: mean, I had like a headache and some head fog and like really stiff shoulders and that was my COVID experience. It was very weird.
1: Well, I think that you got off easy, kid.
0: Yeah. I did also immediately go stir crazy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've I been love... stuck at home from the car and I was like, now I just can't go anywhere. <laughs> oh, that's
1: brutal.
2: We did a we did a virtual movie watch, which yeah. of the of the Burton Cummings. So shockingly, movie. oh did the I Burton reveal Cum- what the what the no. episode is about?
1: Burton Cummings. It's about yeah. Burton Cummings, and now we're back
2: into what we're supposed to be talking yeah.
0: about. Yeah,
1: so yeah, we're talking about Burton Cummings tonight, um, and he is a guy. I think I was like a Guess Who fan when I was a kid. I used to listen to all of these KY fifty eight. Oh yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, I uh, my friends all made fun of me and said it was rehab music.
3: <laughs> what what they, does that mean? I
1: don't know. Like <laughs> like in the mid '90s, just throwing around the word rehab was like you're a rehab.
0: Oh, what?
1: Yeah, like that huh. was that was a derogatory slang. Huh. So I wasn't listening to Tupac or Collective Soul, so therefore I was a rehab because I was listening to the Stones and the Guess Who and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, huh yeah so uh, I listened to the oldies and I kind of grew up on it. I'm I wouldn't even call myself a Burton Cummings fan uh, at this point in my life, but <laughs> I am definitely fascinated by Burton Cummings and then what he came to represent in Winnipeg uh yeah. in in the especially in the last twenty years because he's been avoiding winnipeg so much and there's just oh. there's a, there, like do you either of you know anything about burton cummings
0: i've been aware of him a bit more recently because he was in a feud with the dance hall for a bit right
1: yeah, a few years ago yeah yeah We're, i was we'll aware into of that yeah. i was
0: aware of
2: that and then i don't know i listened to the guess who because my dad liked the guess who i know so. i know like two songs by the guess who and i've seen one <laughs> burton cummings movie So, <laughs>
1: yes uh i had i had the ladies watch uh burton cummings only film melanie yeah. This week. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to watch. We watch that and we're going to talk about it for the Patreon bonus episode. Yeah. It um,
0: was not the worst movie I've seen. But, <laughs> no, yeah. but we have thoughts. There are a lot of plot holes.
1: Yeah. I've, I've got some thoughts too. Uh, <laughs> and a little bit of research about that one as well that Ooh. we can share. But yeah, that's 1982. We're going to go through the chronological life of Burton Cummings okay. here. Who I think, I think that because we've been talking about so many um, kind of lesser known stories yeah. mm-hmm. in Winnipeg. Like, yes, Burton Cummings is maybe one of the most famous Winnipeggers, but like there's not even a biography or autobiography about him. There's books about the Guess Who, Weird. but yeah. there is no like particular book on Burton. So again, I had to like dive in and like pull from a lot of resources. Um, yeah. I did not read John Einarsson's book, uh, but I watched some interviews with John Einarsson on <laughs> YouTube. Um, but yeah, I am just going to dive in and yeah. Yeah. so let's learn about Burton Cummings, who was born, about uh, born Burton Lauren Cummings on December 31st, 1947 in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, and was raised by his mom, Rhoda. And her parents uh as his dad left when burton was a baby burton um Aww, baby burton yeah rhoda supported the family working as a financial clerk at eaton's oh um, so when burton was five uh he was taking piano lessons a lot of uh rhoda's budget went to that uh when burton's five he's playing a song called the happy farmer boy on piano but it sounded kind of sad so his mom asked what are you playing and he said that's the sad farmer boy <laughs> He had transposed it from minor to from major to minor at five years old. Rhoda huh. said, "I knew that there was something out of the ordinary going on."
0: Was it not that he took a, a song called "The Happy Farmer Boy" and went, "What if the farmer boy was sad?"
1: Yeah, I I guess maybe he he thought he was the sad <laughs> farmer boy. Aww. Yeah, like he he definitely He's had just
2: already a troubled musician at five
1: yeah. years old. <laughs> I think like he had a lot of issues about his dad not yeah. being around when he was little. Like, um. He told the CBC in '92. I remember the first day of grade two. We had to stand in front of the class and say what our fathers did, and I didn't have uh, one, so I made something up. Okay. Just kind of a
0: sad, yeah. like, and it and
1: this these are yeah. themes that you'll see, like, the kind of the sad, artistic, tortured young yeah. man. Um So he really gets the itch, though, to be in a band in grade eight. Uh, he's at Lux. Who Lux- doesn't
0: in grade eight though? Who yeah. didn't want to be a band when they were like.
2: 13 years old i was just weirdly into a local band which (laughs) band were you into um i i can't remember the name it was liberty and i can't remember it was they were named after a penny so it was a year and i can't remember the name anymore for the life of me no idea oh they were not big (laughs) (laughs) no this is like a band that like some guys in the local high school were in oh alex (laughs) she
1: had their pictures in her locker
2: Oh, yeah. Did you have, no, like, no, crushes on the
0: guys in the band? Or... Absolutely.
2: is <laughs> <laughs> an extremely niche interest.
0: <laughs> Which interest of yours in high school wasn't extremely niche? That's true.
1: <laughs> um, so Burton's at Luxton School, uh, starting in kindergarten. Um, in grade eight, he's in his music class with Miss Milgram. Uh, so he and his friend Ed Smith, Ed with two Ds. Okay. Not sure why. Uh, Ed Smith had acquired a cheap electric guitar and amp, and they wanted to audition uh, for this thing called the Amateur Show on local TV. So they asked Miss Milgram if they could perform for the class as like a practice run. Um, They performed This Time by Troy Shondell and What I Say by Ray Charles. Um, You know, a little white boy soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, With Burton on piano and Ed on the guitar. (laughs) Burton said, members of the whole class, particularly the girls, were seemingly impressed and... It seemed like a damned cool thing to do. <laughs> he's such a he's such a wiener. I love it. Um, they wound up getting uh, a slot on the amateur show. And then they appeared a second time, this time with Francis Kostyuk on drums. Uh, they performed Dion's The Wanderer. He's 13 at this oh, point. Um, it's during 62-63 school year uh, that Burton joins his first proper band, Ed's intra- instrumental bla- band with Derek Blake, Boris Pollock, and John Gatch. The Devrons. Now, the Devrons are... I thought for a
2: second that was all the name of the band. <laughs> the name <laughs> was Ed's <laughs> Instrumental Band. And I'm like, Ed's Instrumental Band's a pretty good name. Yeah. It does also sound a little bit like um one of the bands that they play around 8 p.m. on CJNU. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, like, Twilight Hour or whatever. It's they're... all Twilight Time, but it's in- <laughs> different instrumental
1: versions. <laughs> That's um, a joke
2: for all our CJNU listeners. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> most of the audience. Um, so... Burton is he's talked his way into this band Uh, he told manitobamusicmuseum.com in an interview during the school the days at school Ed would casually mention what numbers they were currently working on and I'd always drool with jealousy I wanted so much to be in the band they played instrumentals only none of them sang I guess their repertoire consisted of numbers by the ventures the fireballs uh, the surfaris Dwayne Eddy, other guitar based instrumental acts after a few weeks of hearing about the Devron's second he, hearing about the Devron's second hand ed asked if uh i maybe want to come practice with them and they that week i found myself in the basement at a devron's practice i asked them if i could sing something and would they play along burton saying donna come on let's go and bony raroni by richie valance <laughs>
2: Bony Ruroni. Ruroni. Boney
1: Maroni. Boney uh, Maroni. The classic.
2: Who could forget it?
1: All those Richie Vallon's classics. Um, <laughs> the band had never had a singer before, but because cause they had this catalog of instrumentals, Burton would only come out a few times during a show to sing, and then he'd disappear off stage. Uh, he even had to sing through one of their guitar amps because they didn't have a proper pH system. <laughs> um eventually he bought himself a used saxophone for 25 bucks but that still wasn't enough to keep him on stage for the whole set (laughs) uh then one night they're playing at saint martin's in the field church parish hall uh it's a church that burton had attended his whole life and he sees the old upright piano on stage no mic no amplification he just starts pounding along to each song during the set um some of the band members didn't like this too much. <laughs> okay, fair. Um, but they couldn't deny that it worked. I think there was just some jealousy and some like stupid. I mean, it I does mean... seem
2: like he has sort of invited himself into
0: this band. Yes. And also like they don't really want him on stage, but it keeps trying to be like, but what if I play the saxophone
2: really well? And they're still like they're like a saxophone, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he just he wants to he knows like he's someone a someone give star, a, like... someone
2: give the man a triangle so he can stand in the back.
1: <laughs> a little tambourine <laughs> yeah. shake. Like um Yeah. So He starts playing piano. Eventually he starts putting a vocal mic behind the piano and then uses like a violin pickup taped to the back of the piano (laughs) uh, to run it through the soundboard through a guitar amp, like just a real cheap, like amateur setup, but does the job. Um, He has another quote where he says, during our earliest lineups, we had a rather large repertoire composed entirely of pre Beatles music. In retrospect, I realized those are the best days of my life in show business, we were in the Devrons, we were still living under our parents' roofs, yet we were treated as local royalty. All the trappings of success in life without having to take any of the risks involved in attaining it.
0: I mean, also I feel like a group of like teen boys doing pre Beatles covers sounds like kind of peak fodder for like nostalgic Winnipegers. That's true. Like obviously yeah. that would be a hit.
1: Well, it's clear that like he's this snapshot of this time in this place is right. very, very important to Burton. Like these are his formative years. Yeah. Right? Like, and that is a time that like because I think that when the Beatles hit in 64, 65, it's like a slap in the face to music. Right? Yeah. yeah. Everything changes. Like, we've got Elvis and Chuck Berry and a few things up until that point, but like the world was not ready for the Beatles. So, like, it was a lot of doo-wop and it was a lot of like rockabilly and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And then everything changes. One
0: of my favorite old pictures is like in a book about music history and it was about like not beatles mania but like teenagers going crazy for like teen yeah. music and there was a picture of a girl like crying at a herman's hermit's concert <laughs> <laughs> it was like really <laughs> them
1: yeah i mean there was a, it was a whole thing like there was british invasion there was sound alikes like, yeah and we'll get into that where the Guess who were oh yeah, okay we'll get into it um so burton then goes to st john's high school in the north end uh he gets suspended like for ha- the
2: fancy school st john's raven court
1: I, That's not okay. the North End, is it? No, no you're right. I didn't listen yeah. to that. I, I did not listen to your whole sentence. He's sorry. a North End boy. <laughs> okay. Um, he gets suspended for having a Beatles haircut. Uh, oh. suspended for smoking cigarettes, and then he just drops out at 17. Okay. Um I want to note that there are some some famous alumni from St. John's, uh, comedian David Steinberg, Chris Walby, the Winnipeg Blue Bomber. Yeah. Uh Monty Hall. T- yeah. T- TV host. Uh director John Hirsch, who has oh. a theater named yeah. after him um so burton was in good company even though he was getting kicked out and dropping out
0: well john Um, hirsch never got a beatles haircut so that was his mistake Not that we
1: know of yeah not not on the main stage anyway
0: (laughs) um so that's a tom henry's warehouse business
1: yeah 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 tom henry was like he had a mohawk when the sex pistols came out it was a whole thing um this is some real niche content (laughs) yeah we're getting very niche this episode thanks for thanks for staying with us um so the devrons released two singles via rio records Blue is the night, uh, and the B side is "She's Your Lover" in 1965. And then "Lost Love," backed with "Feel All Right," the following year. And Burton's fans were ravenous about the Devrons. They'd steal the numbers off of his mother's house. They'd steal her <laughs> bird feeders. They'd steal. So his mailbox. mom must have loved that. Yeah, because he's still living at home, right? Right. So yeah. girls are following him home, sending him like fan mail. There's a Burton Cummings fan club, like huh. all this stuff. And he's he's a teen idol in Winnipeg huh so it's kind of he's blowing up right um
2: i guess he's like a big fish in a small pond right like
1: very much so yeah like they're playing all the community centers they're playing all the high school band or uh, concerts things like that all the dances um and before we talk about the end of the Devrons, we then have to talk about chad allen who's chad allen so chad allen in 1958 forms chad allen and the reflections with bob ashley on keyboards Randy Bachman oh. on guitar, Jim Cale on bass, Gary Peterson on drums. Now, three of those names go on to be the guess who. Um, the first the first name change of Chad Allen, The Reflections, comes uh, when there is already a band called The Reflections in the States. They have a big hit just like Romeo and Juliet. So they start going by, because they were just The Reflections, then they start going by Chad Allen and The Reflections. And they release a single called Shaken All Over. Which is a cover of a Johnny Kidd and the Pirates song. Like, and that's and this is a big hit. I okay. love For those Chatton. old
2: band names, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: like just goofy. Like Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. Yeah. Like what? Like, and it's some like record label AR guy who's like, you, y'all Johnny Kidd now. And he's yeah. like, okay. And then they like interchange between. <laughs> and Johnny
2: you're all a Kid. bunch of pirates. <laughs> yeah. Arr, arr. Like that's what's
1: hot this week. Yeah. Um, so this comes out on uh comes out locally, and then they get an American label, Quality Records. Um, and Quality Records decides to do a little marketing gimmick behind "Shaken All Over" because it's kind of got that Britpop, British mm-hmm. Invasion vibe. So they credit the single to Guess Who? Question mark.
3: Oh, because
1: they want them, they want people to think maybe this is the Who. Oh,
3: so it doesn't say Chad Allen
1: and the Reflections anywhere on the, on the sleeve for the single. Right. Um, comes out album in the same name comes out followed by "Hey Ho." What you do to me! Exclamation point. Uh, later that year, so two albums in one year. Um, it's the last record to feature Bob Ashley on keys. He quits because he doesn't like the touring life. Um, and these albums both have Guess Who? Question mark quote on them. Like it's still Chad Allen and Reflections, and then like Winky Face Guess Who? Guess who? <laughs> like remember how Guess Who was a thing? Um, and the third album, It's Time, it drops the Chad Allen name altogether. It goes by just Guess Who? Question mark. <laughs> Um and this is when Burton Cummings at age 17 joins the guess who So Randy Backman recalled uh in like 92 to the CBC uh that they have him over and they they're like, look this kid from the Devrons he's a big deal um Burton, will you will you join the band and play keys? And he goes, I would, but the Beatles asked me to join them last week <laughs> <laughs> and he walks out of the room. oh my God and so, but guess who's standing there being like is he serious? Yeah. And Burton pauses and he goes wait a minute. And he goes back in and he goes are you guys serious? <laughs> like because the guess who is like the biggest band in the city at right, this point yeah. like and one of the bigger bands in Canada. Um
2: that's so embarrassing to have to go back after
0: that line. Yeah,
1: like, and even, like, Burton in an interview, he's, he's like, what an asshole he was. Like, he just, like, he's a cocky kid. Yeah. Um, That's, like, the
0: biggest swing you could have gone for, too. It's not like, yeah. oh, this big Toronto band. It's, like, no, the biggest band in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, he just, yeah. They're the looking Beatles.
0: for this plucky 17-year-old from from Winnipeg, Manitoba.
1: Yeah, and, like, they all sing, but they want Burton in there on keys. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, so six months into Burton's tenure, Chad Allen quits, he goes to college, it's June of 1966, and everything is about to change. Um, Rhoda Cummings, Burton's mom, Damn. has to sign Burton's contracts to be in the band because he's not legal age and <laughs> it's right. illegal for him to like have a record contract, I guess um she was not very wild about him joining the band with a bunch of older guys but she knew randy backman's dad because he's like a respected alderman in winnipeg okay uh she takes it upon herself to call up randy on the phone ask him to be kind of a big brother figure to burton um he needs a strong male figure in his life yada 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 um randy even like picks him up and drops him off after shows but then burton is like walks to the door doesn't get in the house and he starts going out with his younger (gasps) friends and kind of rebelling And so he gets Randy on the hook for that. Like
2: rebelling against Randy Bachman. (laughs) Right? Like, so like,
1: you got Randy Bachman, he's like 22 or whatever, and Burton is 17, 18. Like trying
2: to keep a (laughs) 17-year-old in line, imagine.
1: Yeah. So it's just goofy. Um, (laughs) Bachman tells Toronto Star in 2014 that uh, just writing for Burton's voice was kind of a dream. Um, He says... I forged an alliance with Burton soon after he joined in early '66 because the main songwriter, I was the main songwriter in the band at the time. I wrote for the lead voice. I'd written the songs to suit Chad's voice, and now I could write for Burton's grittier voice. And because of the circumstances, the sound of the band changed. We went from And She's Mine to Clock on the Wall. I wrote Believe Me, like a Kinks or Paul Revere and the Raiders song, and Chad sang it, but it just didn't suit his voice and style. You can hear that on the record. But in Burton's hands, it was right. Later songs like These Eyes, Laughing, No Sugar Tonight, No Time, they were all conceived with Burton's voice in mind, end quote. Hmm. Um, He goes on to talk about how they'd meet up on Saturday mornings at Burton's mom's house. They'd write together at the kitchen table. They even kind of wrote an early version of Backman Turner Overdrive's Taking Care of Business. Oh. Uh, Back then it was called White Collar Worker. Okay. Uh these early writing sessions kind of involved Burton writing the verse and Randy writing the chorus, but then after a while it all kind of blurred together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so the guess who released their first kind of like Burton centric single, His Girl, in nineteen sixty seven, and it very quickly goes to the top of the British charts. Oh so they oh, cancel the British charts. Chart. So it's like, oh wow, we're big across the pond. They literally cancel every local gig that they have. <laughs> oh no they on credit go and buy a bunch of new stage clothes they on credit go and get a bunch of new like garnet amps wow um they have a big send-off at the winnipeg airport like there's the screaming fans like beatlemania style and they're all like they're like walking the runway and they're like wow like this is gonna be great they get to england no tour no contracts like they've been totally led astray oh no management totally screwed them over they're five thousand dollars in debt oh no they go back home to winnipeg and they're like is the band done like what are we gonna do cbc gets in touch they're looking for a band to do like a weekly spot on like a a show that goes across the country type thing just doing like covers like being a house band on this like you know variety show type thing Um, They're like, yeah, we need a band that reads music. And they're all like, yeah, we read music. They don't read music. So they're doing like a bunch of Beatles songs. And then they're like sneaking in their own Guess Who songs as well. Because that's what you do. Whenever like any bar band gets a covers gig, they're going to sneak in their own songs. So, you know, it's not, you know, outside the realm of opportunity for Randy and Burton and and those guys. Um, Here's where things continue to get like, like there's so many like, weird things that happened to this band um in 1968 former mccann erickson ad man jack richardson approached coca-cola canada with a unique idea he wants to produce and market a split lp and release it via coke as a bottle cap reimbursement scheme remember those where you yeah, like oh, flip yeah. open the inside and get like no. a no like
0: points um, pepsi the, points yeah hat or whatever. they did those like, at the stamp or when i was younger and the more stampede would like around the summer when that was happening in july and there was one year i can't remember what the prizes were but my mom had me and all of my f- siblings and my cousins go out to the like the bleachers after our rodeo show and ended and try and collect all the Pepsi cans oh, yeah, yeah. and we could all take the tops off and then get the points. We got okay. a Sony Walkman out of that deal and I a yo-yo. Nice. Pretty good. And a yo-yo. <laughs> <laughs> we still have the yo-yo, I think. The yeah. Walkman I think we wore out.
1: I remember having like Pepsi points towels and yeah. fat, like beach towels and stuff like there there was an ad there it was like you could even win this jet and then, but there was no fine print saying you can't win this jet. And a guy actually got enough points to win the jet. <gasps> and so there was a huge lawsuit and they had to change the way they did Pepsi points and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, wow. Um, anyways.
2: So they're going to do an LP for, for Coke. Coke. For Coke points.
1: For Coke points, yeah. <laughs> or whatever they're called. In 1968. It. Um, on the B side is the Guess Who. On the A side is the Staccatos. They later changed their name to Five Man Electrical Band, and they have that big hit, Signs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, we've all heard that song on classic rock radio. Um, the album is called A Wild Pear, and you can get it with <laughs> 10 uh, Coca-Cola bottle cap liners, plus a $1.25 for shipping expenses, plus provincial sales tax. Um, <laughs> huh. It's available until April 12th, 1968. Since the album's never sold in stores, there's no way to tell exactly how many copies were sold, but Randy Bachman estimates that the album sold enough to qualify for gold record status in Canada, wow. so he feels good about it. Um, and then that record particularly, and I'll, I'll show you after, I think I have a copy, there's like a little 7-inch record by Andrew W.K. and Nardwar the Human Serviette. Um, called a wild pear, P E A R, uh-huh. and on the it's a cartoon cover of them, cute, and they're holding a pear. Yeah, and so that's an homage to to that, huh. uh, which was pretty fun. Um, 1969, Bachman and Cummings sign a contract with this ad man Richardson uh, and his new production company Nimbus Nine, which says that Richardson takes 100 of the songwriting publishing. Hmm. This is mistake number one for the Guess Who. Uh oh. Um, The actual songwriters only get their writing royalties. Um, Again, this is going to be a major point of contention with these guys moving forward. So then Jack Richardson mortgages his house to get the money together to make a new guess who record like the first proper record with yep. Burton fronting the band and everything. Um, and also up until this point, the band had really only recorded in like TV studios, mm-hmm. yeah. holes in the walls, things like that. They'd recorded mostly in Winnipeg, sometimes in Minneapolis. <laughs> I guess you could c- get a good deal in Minneapolis. Um, this album that they put together first is called Wheatfield Soul. Um, came out in March of 69. It's this first album with this classic lineup of Burton Cummings, Randy Bachman, bass player Jim Cale, and drummer Gary Peterson. Um, up until this point, the band had had a real like garage rock sound. Things are starting to shift with Cummings on board, so it's more of a radio pop, psychedelic rock kind of thing, recorded at A&R Studios in New York. Uh, the record did not do much on the charts, but the single was These Eyes.
2: Oh. See?
1: You know These Eyes. This
2: is one of the two Guess Who songs I know.
1: <laughs> What's the other song? Do you know?
2: I'm okay. I need you to tell me the other because if I say it, it's not a guess who song. I'm no, gonna you be have to say it. No, now. I'm not, Alex.
1: Okay. Well, if it, if or when it comes up, just point it okay. out. And, yeah, <laughs> um,
2: I'm pretty sure it's a guess who song. No, so... but I
1: want
2: you to guess. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me embarrass myself Any... in front of our three listeners. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, we have more than three listeners. I'm just we have at least 300. I'm just listeners. goofing. Um, so. <laughs> These Eyes peaks at number seven, lands the band a U.S. distribution deal with RCA Records. Uh, Randy Bachman, oh, I've heard of that. Yes, <laughs> so that's a so big deal, right? Yeah. These Eyes gets them a, a really good record deal. Um, Randy Bachman wrote; uh, he wasn't a piano player at all, but he wrote the the do do it do, do 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 or no? Oh yeah. No, he writes do 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 do, and then Cummings writes do 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 So, anyways. Um, so they're excited. They've got this big hit. Um, it's covered by so many people over the years: Junior Walker, Michael Bolton, Natalie Cole, Jack Soul, uh, Michael Sarah sings it in super bad. Right? Yeah. Uh, when they're like, "Sing for us, little little white boy," or whatever, <laughs> yeah. like, and he's like, he's a... like, he's just <laughs> yeah. like so nervously singing it. Um, Burton told the CBC in '92. I remember getting the gold record from Dick Clark on American Bandstand and coming home to Winnipeg and hanging it on my wall. It was a magical time. Oh, yeah, like, that would be exciting. It's yeah. a, a very like, like coming home to Winnipeg and like having American success. Like yeah. he also talked about how he'd like walked around with a billboard magazine under his arm just to be like, look, Winnipeg did it.
2: Aww. Like he just wanted
1: to show people like on yeah. Portage Avenue yeah. that Winnipeg could go on to do something like kind of exciting.
2: I mean, we I feel like as a city, we love that, right?
1: Yeah, like they were were the hometown boys made Mm -hmm. good, right? Yeah. Um, They were at this time anyway. Winnipeg starts to turn against them eventually. Oh. We won't won't get there yet, but. Mm -hmm. So in September of that year, the band released another record. This was back when like you had to put out two records a year. Okay. You were just cranking stuff out. Um, Canned Wheat. So they're keeping the wheat theme going. Sure, why Um, not?
0: Prairie Boys.
1: (laughs) Yep. This time it's recorded in Studio A at RCA in New York City. Again, produced by their kind of evil manager Jack Richardson. Um, I mean, is that
2: not the story of every band in the nineteen sixties? Yeah, <laughs> like some
1: sort of spendthrift. And then the record,
2: and then the record company stole all of their money. Yep. Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> they like the sound at the studio they recorded at on their first record. They like that better, but RCA wants them in house. Okay. Um, so they actually went and recorded the whole record at rca but then they re-recorded what they knew would be like the hit singles laughing and undone over at the a and r studio and they slide those over to the label they'd be like maybe these are the singles and hey guess what they were released as a double a side single (laughs) so that means that like you know the dj gets it and they can choose either as the single like normally like the b-side is a throwaway song or a cover or whatever it is and it's just like something extra that they might play and sometimes a b-side becomes a big hit you never mm-hmm. know but so there's a double a side to be a good
2: gimmick to have a double a side yeah to be like, Beatles
1: did double a sides like we're
2: confident in both of these
1: yeah like it's just it's a like <laughs> yeah and then you get two songs on the charts you know yep, like yep. it's it's kind of a a win-win thing and if you're if you can back it up um so laughing does hit number one canadian single chart uh number 10 on the u.s billboard hot 100 undone spent two weeks at number 21 and 15 in america um, Randy Bachman wrote the tune. Cummings said it was one of the best songs ever written by any Canadian songwriter. Um, and then we get to the band's crowning achievement, 1970. The song is American Woman. It's the other one I did
2: <laughs> <laughs> I assume that would be it. I, I just had a moment of panic where I was like, what if it's not?
1: <laughs> so I'm going to do a little deep dive here just yes. on this song because it is like the, like it is their crowning achievement as i said um it's a song that brought them in 1970 this song brought them 5 million dollars in record sales alone wow yeah that's big i i don't know what that is with inflation but and that's just 1970 a billion never million dollars never mind like
0: <laughs> alex is really good at math over the
1: last 52 years or whatever yeah. it is right like that's yeah a lot of money uh greatest hits album streaming that or, would
0: be whatever. 5 million a year would be a lot now for a lot of bands
1: yeah like like you know most bands are making 500 bucks a year yeah so like this is a big hit Mm -hmm. um across the world um the album in the same name it's recorded from august 12th to november 16th 1969 at rca mid-america recording center in chicago illinois this time studio b uh again jack richardson producing american woman the album it's released january 1970 title track opening song on the album american woman released in march as a double A side single with "No Sugar Tonight," uh, and it's that... also a pretty good song. Yeah, Alex doesn't I might, know
2: it. I might know pr-
0: it. I'll play it on the I... drive home. You'll know it.
1: No sugar tonight in his coffee. No sugar tonight in his tea.
2: You're not. You're not helping. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> no,
1: sorry. I'm not. I'm not going to sing the, the no. melody. I'll too. play it for you later. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that one reaches number one, stays there for three weeks, uh, beginning May 9th on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and the Canadian RPM Singles Chart. It's also number three on Billboard's year-end list, number five on the RPM 1970 list, and certified gold on May 22nd, 1970. It charts its number 10 in the Netherlands, Switzerland, Austria, uh, hit the top 20 in the UK, New Zealand.
0: Wow. Wow!
1: Massive hit. The story of the song, is a bit of a happy accident. According to an interview with Backman uh, that he gave to Song Facts in 2014, guess who were on stage in, on, in an Ontario curling rink? Um, <laughs>
0: now this is my kind of story. Yes,
1: this is where it gets very Sabrina. Um, <laughs> yes. These happy accidents here. Uh, Randy thinks that it was in Kitchener, but Burton thinks that it was at the Broom and Stone in Scarborough. <laughs> um, so Bachman breaks his string on his guitar. Band leaves the stage. They're taking their 15 minutes intermission yep. type thing. Um, Randy starts restringing the guitar, tuning it up. It's his fifty-nine Les Paul, his classic guitar. Um, there's no guitar tech or anything because like while they're big, they're not like are
2: a curling rink, right? It's now. not like yeah,
0: the yeah. curling rink in Kitchener or Scarborough is gonna have a guitar. They don't tech have on an it. on-site guitar tech. No, nope,
1: they don't have an entourage traveling with them type thing. The they're farmers still...
0: in the rink are like, we don't know what this is. Yeah. Like... What's a guitar? We've
2: never seen
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> um so he's tuning, goes over to Burton's electric piano and he starts hitting an E and a B. He's tuning to those notes, comes up with the riff, that famous. Oh yeah. Like Yeah. So he says, I started to play the riff on stage. I look to the audience. They're now milling about, talking amongst themselves, but all their heads snap back. (laughs) Suddenly I realize I'm playing a riff that I don't want to forget. I have to keep playing it. So I stand up, I'm playing this riff, I'm alone on stage. The band jumps up on stage with him and Backman yells, sing something to Burton. (laughs) And Burton yells out, American woman, stay away from me.
0: Wow. All right.
1: Uh, This is semi-contradicted by Burton, though. Oh, okay. Uh, In 2013, July of 2013, he's talking to Used View and he says it was jammed on stage one night in mississauga he's contradicting himself already like yeah. various reports of
2: listen it's some place in, in toronto. toronto or in yeah. ontario that is not toronto exactly. In a curling club in a curling club
1: yeah we're playing in a club called the broom and stone which was actually a curling rink and we're doing two shows that night between the two shows i'm outside bartering with this kid he had some gene vincent records that i wanted to get for my collection <laughs> i love this
2: famous and he's just like in the alley outside the curling
1: rink. yeah that's like he's yeah. burton he's still just like a music fan right like he's just a nerd about this stuff um so he's trying to strike a deal with this guy next thing i know it's time to start the second show and the other three guys have gone back on stage and i hear them start this riff i said to the guy oh my god i'm supposed to be on stage <laughs> i've gotta run i'll see you later about these gene vincent records <laughs> don't you sell those to anyone else in the meantime
0: i'm gonna be back also is he just in a back alley being like i got some jeans like he's got like in the trench (laughs) coat like offering them to any like passer by, anyone out for a smoke (laughs) i guess i would have been smoking in the back of his car like in the
1: trunk like hey i've got some hot records here um so he runs up on stage grabs the microphone starts singing whatever comes into his head he says it was all stream of consciousness spur of the moment stuff all that stuff about war machines ghetto scenes colored lights can hypnotize It was all spur of the moment. Nobody would have ever heard it again, but there happened to be a kid bootlegging the show that night. (laughs) This is way back in the 60s. He had a cassette machine. Uh, Those machines were relatively new invention at the time, Burton says. This is 1968, 45 years ago. We noticed this on stage as the night went on, and he kept recording. So we motioned to our road manager, go get that tape uh he gets so we're
2: buying records from this one kid yeah. outside and, and the bootleg tapes. of our
1: own buying, show buying bootlegs of their own shows <laughs> um listen to it later they start jamming it out um they kind of learned it from the tape basically so they it might have been a totally different song if it hadn't been recorded oh, man
0: some guy in ontario has the craziest story of i bootlegged the first time right? like... and none of his grandkids believe him there's <laughs> like sure okay yeah sure gramps uh my great grandmother used to babysit for Paul Anka. Oh wow! Yeah, they used oh. to stay at the same resort, huh? <laughs> I don't know.
1: He was on The Simpsons once. Yeah, yeah, he's important.
0: It's not a relevant anecdote, and it gets like worse and worse <laughs> every passing year.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So Burton is very happy. Yeah. Uh, that this song. He Did he get like,
0: the Gene Vincent records?
1: <laughs> uh, that's the thing. I don't know. It, it was must have been cut out of the interview. Um. <laughs> He, he claims that the music gods must have sent that kid the cassette recorder. Yeah. That's what Burton says. Um, he also told the Toronto Star in 2014, what my what was on my mind was that the girls in the States seemed to get older quicker than our girls, and that made them, well, dangerous. Oh. So when I said American woman, stay away from me, I really meant Canadian woman. I prefer you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's like a less catchy riff for a song. Yeah, can you
1: imagine? <laughs> Hello, Canadian, Canadian woman. Women.
0: I, I prefer you. Prefer... <laughs> Ew.
1: We're going to cut that record soon. Um, The three of us.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a, a lot of musical talent between the three of us. Yes.
2: I'll be on the tambourine. I haven't played the flute in a decade. I, I, I spent one year playing French horn. <laughs> <laughs> I, the best the best instrument for a rock band. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, if you're in one of Burton's early bands, I mean, yeah. anything that gets you on Saxophone, stage. Saxophone. Right? That... Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jim Cale, the bassist, he also kind of uh, had some things to say in a 2011 interview with super70s.com. Um, he says that the popular misconception about this song is that it's a chauvinistic tune, uh, which is anything but the case. The fact was we came from a very straight-laced, conservative, laid-back country. All of a sudden, we're in Chicago, Detroit, New York, all these horrendously large places with big city problems. Uh, After that one particularly grinding tour, it was just a real treat to go home, see the girls we'd grown up with. Uh, Also, there's a war going on, and that's terribly unpopular. We don't have the draft system (laughs) in Canada, and we're grateful for that. A lot of people called the song anti-American, but it wasn't really. We weren't anti-anything. John Lennon once said that the meanings of all the songs come after they're recorded, so someone else has to interpret them.
0: I love it. sort of in Vietnam, right? Yeah. Yep. Just slipping
2: in like, oh, Vietnam War was going on. That wasn't popular anyway. Yeah. Like,
0: anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, it had to have influenced things. Like, Yeah. I feel
2: like I want to go back a little bit, though, to what Burton said about it. <laughs> that he's like, oh, it's about how those American girls grow up so fast and they're dangerous. <laughs> like, ooh. ooh no, weird. Those, like, American 16-year-olds are, in fact, not dangerous to you. Just,
0: like, leave them alone. You're the dangerous
2: Leave them alone? No. Also, he had grown up
0: having his house numbers stolen by girls in yeah. this city. Okay. That's true.
1: I mean, I don't know how dangerous Burton is yet because he hasn't grown his mustache yet.
0: Mm. Is that what you think is really
1: what? I think he's just got long hair and he's yeah. wearing a lot of leather vests without a shirt underneath. Like, so he's kind of dangerous. Oh, so what he but... wears in Melanie. Yeah. Ex- <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, he also, uh, no, as Randy Bachman said in that 2014 interview, uh, we've been touring the States. This was the late 60s one time at the U S Canada border in North Dakota, they tried to draft us and send us to Vietnam. What? Um, so we're back in Canada. We're playing in the safety of Canada and there's dances full of draft Dodgers who've all left the States. Oh yeah. Oh. So they're like, let's play in the safety of our home country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they hit it big with American woman. Uh, and then Randy Backman says, I'm out. Oh, yep. He leaves the band in May of 1970 the lifestyle of the Guess Who does not align with his strict Mormon beliefs.
2: Oh, what? what? Has he been a Mormon this whole time?
1: Yes. Oh. He has children. Tall Bachman, who had the hit song, She's So High.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. them? Did you not know that? No. Yeah, oh, that's, my God. That's, that's yeah.
1: And I think that Tall Bachman actually has left the Mormon church um, only, only in the last few years. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So Bachman is like, the world was having a party cigarettes drugs i don't blame them there was a real sex drugs and rock and roll lifestyle i wasn't really into it um but he still had some business to take care of <laughs> what? when he formed bachman turner overdrive uh, in
2: 1973
1: got it um have i <laughs> i'm glad sabrina have I enjoyed told that you
2: guys about the time i accidentally invited the Mormons to my house on, on the show. Have I told that story? No, no. no? Um, I was taking a, a religion class, and the prof said, "Oh, you know, you can get the Book of Mormon for free. You just can just like can just like get it online." So I was like, "Okay, great. Like, you know, I wouldn't mind reading the Book of Mormon. It's interesting." So I go online and I just like whatever, put in my address. I think they're gonna mail it to me. They do not mail it. Oh to no. no! They come to your house. So they show up at my house and. Like, I don't have any problem with Mormons. I just don't want to talk to missionaries. (laughs) I don't think you want to talk to anyone. No, this is true. (laughs) But they showed up at my house and asked my dad for me by name. Extremely confusing to him.
1: (laughs) Wow. I once met a guy. I worked with a guy who had left the Mormon church, like left his wife, left his family. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, And he told me all about the magic underwear and all this stuff. Like, weird. just seems like a very interesting community. For sure. To be a part of.
2: And they will come to your house if you try. If you, add, if if you invite. invite them over. If basically. you invite them over, they will come. Which you know what? Fair enough.
1: That's good service. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like personal delivery. They did come a second time also. <laughs> well, yeah, they thought you were interested. Uh, yeah. Um, they did leave the Book of Mormon though when I wasn't Did you there. read it. So no. I saw, <laughs>
1: I saw the musical The Book of Mormon. When yeah, I was here, yeah, I did too. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like South Park, but on stage mm-hmm. with Mormons. Mm. Um. <laughs> anyway. So. Bachman says about the split, uh, it's a rancorous parting of ways. And I took a shellacking not only from the media, but also from Burton. I was vilified (laughs) in every interview he gave and written off as a spent force that would never make it in the music business drug free. Drugs had already driven a wedge between him and me long before we parted company. The reality was that the pressure was now squarely on Burton's shoulders to deliver the goods without the collaboration we had enjoyed. Burton doesn't react well to pressure. For several years after, I was subjugated to a litany of ridicule and verbal potshots, some of it very per- of a very personal nature. Oh. I guess I was never one to sling mud. I just let the music do the talking as Backman Turner Overdrive rose to... The- <laughs> Rose to the top, outselling the guess who.
2: <laughs> I mean there was a little bit of mud at the end there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: um,
1: and then Gary Peterson said to the C B C Uh, it's bewildering to me. You guys worked so hard to make it, and then they do everything they can to destroy it. Why? <laughs> okay. Like, he's just mad at his bandmates for getting in a in a in a fight. Uh July fifteenth, nineteen seventy, so the Guess who are riding high. Yes, yeah. Randy has left. Um But the guests who played a concert at the International Inn for the province's 100th birthday attended by stars of the crown, Prince Charles and Princess Anne, alongside Ah. 275 young people from schools, universities, and communities around the province. Hmm. The Winnipeg Free Press reported the event under the headline, Guess Who Will Be There? (laughs) The article says, Prince Charles and Princess Anne, both bona fide members of the Under 30 Club, <laughs> will attend a jam session of one of the top commercial rock groups here tonight. Winnipeg's The Guess Who, creators of Canada's first ever number one world hit, American Woman, will give their first royal performance as the Prince and Princess turn on the contemporary sound of heavy rock music. <laughs> Mr. Cummings said the group would like to sing American Woman because the song is identified with the musicians and their success. But he added, some people consider it political. We d- we won't do it if we're asked not to. I'm doing a dumb voice. Uh, Mr. <laughs> no, Cummings, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, I'm loving yeah. the voice.
1: Mr. Cummings said, the musicians were really digging the fact that they'll be playing for the Queen. We've always wanted to play for the Queen. When informed the Prince that Prince Charles and Princess Anne would be in attendance, not Queen Elizabeth, he said, ah, well, I'm a big Commonwealth fan. That doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think those. That's the first time I've ever heard anyone use the term Term Commonwealth fan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, that term comes up again. Don't worry. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, Okay.
0: Also, as someone that, like, Prince Charles and Prince Anne, I know what they look like now. It's hard to imagine them ever being part of the the under-30 crowd. I
2: mean, the same will be true of us one day, Sabrina.
1: I I only know, like, the actors who play them that age on The Crown. Yeah. I don't know what they... They're, you know, very, very good-looking people uh, on The Crown anyway, so...
2: Um... I feel like also I would like to go back to how that article is written because it's written like the person has just learned about music that day. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, music <laughs> like, is not their beat.
2: A, a commercial rock band.
1: <laughs> a heavy rock band known as the Guess Who. <laughs> um, they, they kept writing about it the next day. So they cover the event. Article yeah. the next day uh, says, they speak to a 19-year-old Lori Shinoff uh, who sat next to Prince Charles at the head table. And she says, He said he was looking forward to their trip to Washington on Thursday, but feared insinuations of a relationship between himself and the Nixon girl. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yep. His charges said he just loves to dance, but felt he couldn't dance to the kind of music the Guess Who played. (laughs) Another 19-year-old, Marsha Lester, said that Princess Anne appeared to enjoy the dinner and the entertainment, but felt the Guess Who's last number, American Woman, and monologue ran a bit too long. When the set ended... Oh, this is
2: taking Alex anywhere.
1: Yeah. But um, a bit too
2: long. Well, yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah, just like this episode. Um, No. When the set ended, bass player Jim Cale said to the Royals, we'll see you in Washington. Because guess what? The guests who are going to the White House. (laughs) What? Yeah. Um, They were the favorite band of Trisha Nixon.
2: The Nixon daughter.
0: Yes. The Nixon
1: daughter with Prince Charles was worried was going to hit on him.
2: That's wild of all the White Houses a band would want to play for. The I Nixon feel like this Nixon administration. Boy.
1: Yep. So and they have some you know, they're a little conflicted about this. Yeah. Um so they're they're playing on the White House front lawn. Um they're a Canadian band, so they're part of the Commonwealth. So the idea was they're a good choice. Even though they just played for them in Winnipeg, this this is the choice to play for Prince Charles and Princess Anne, That's as well so as the weird. other guests. <laughs> Um, Drummer Gary Peterson later told, uh, oh, there's a book called Vinyl Dialogues. That's where this quote's from. I think someone in the White House, and you can be assured it wasn't Mrs. Nixon, pointed out, and they were right, that American woman was a bit controversial (laughs) because it wasn't about American women. It was about commentary. But I guess Mrs. Nixon found out and she said, well, this is not appropriate. We can't have this. Uh, So they came to our people and they said, would you rather not play that song? Uh, And our attitude was fine. We're here to entertain people uh, and feel good. We're not here to cause problems. So if you're hiring us and you don't want us to play our biggest hit, that's up to you. (laughs) We're a Canadian band. We weren't getting on a soapbox and saying you shouldn't be in this war. Um, Guitar player Greg (laughs) (laughs) Leskew. So Greg Leskew, who replaced Randy Bachman, uh, he says here was one of the most hated politicians of the hippie generation. And your subculture tells you this guy is bad. And then someone says, do you want to play the white house? Cause we all wanted to play the white house, <laughs> but it, cause it's something that very few people get to do uh, in the band. In the end, the band uh, doesn't actually get to meet Trisha Nixon. Um, but Gary Peterson noted that there was almost some trouble that day. He said that one of the senators daughters pulled out a bag of grass and put it on the table our manager went crazy and said, are you nuts? <laughs> she could get by with it because she was a senator's daughter, but we're all Canadians with work visas. We're here in the States. Uh, we didn't want a scandal like that. Uh, Burton mentioned to the Free Press in 2014 that he had mixed emotions about the White House. It was strange. All the guests were white. All the military aides were white in full ma- military dress. In
2: the Nixon administration? administration. <laughs> Nixon shocking news. Yeah. Shocking, I tell you.
1: Um, But then all the people serving food were black. Mm. Um, So Burton said it seemed terribly racist. The way the White House was landscaped, it looked like you were in Alabama in the 1840s before Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Left a bad taste in Burton's mouth. Burton says they wanted a Commonwealth Act when Charles and Anne were there. And so we were the token Commonwealthers.
2: (laughs) Hmm. It's a little like having your cake and eating it too To like go hmm. play for the Nixon administration And then afterwards be like but I B- didn't like it But
0: we're not a fan of the war or the politics Like yeah, you still just... went there and you didn't play the song that,
2: And also don't play the song that's going to piss them off
0: Yeah
1: like it's kind of a, like you had a, a chance If they'd gone and played the song, yeah, cool like, You could have been uh, Elvis Costello on Saturday Night Live When he was told not to play Radio Radio Right,
2: how yeah. cool is it to show up and then play it anyway, yeah. right?
1: Starts playing another song and he goes wait, wait, wait radio radio or like when nirvana was told not to play rape me right on the mtv awards and they start strumming it and then they're like okay we'll play yeah whatever song um
2: also i'm pulling up a fun mental image of richard nixon (laughs) having to listen to any rock band (laughs) just like (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: arms crossed um
2: also
0: the band that wouldn't smoke weed on the white house lawn is the band that was too extreme for yeah for randy (laughs) Bachman.
1: like it's kind of like when kirk cameron is like Growing Pains is a little too intense for me and my religious beliefs. And Alan Thicke is like, listen, if this is too extreme for you, like this is as milk toast as, <laughs> as shows get, buddy. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be in the entertainment business. Um, anyways. Uh, oh, yeah, and Burton, I guess they played Hand Me Down World instead yeah. of American Woman, uh, which Burton says, we thought we were just as cool for playing that one. Oh, come like, on. Not, like, it's kind of a political song. Um, but the story of American Woman does not end there okay the song obviously has a very long legacy massive cultural impact it's been a movie soundtracks and of course it's covered by lenny kravitz right yeah on the soundtrack to uh austin powers the spy who shagged me mm. in may of 1999 <laughs> that was you could not escape that song uh in the summer of 99 it was all over much music that video with heather graham uh you know right, gyrating yeah. while lenny played a very american concert um kind of takes the irony out of the song that's the like, way <laughs> Um, to have an American woman dancing on a on a like lit up American flag stage, yeah. like um, performed by an American, um, Lenny Kravitz said that he skipped the guitar solo because he couldn't figure it out, um, and he just does some like '70s freeform form wankery. Um, just he couldn't get the right guitar tone. Blah blah blah. Uh, the guest who reunites that fall to perform with Lenny Kravitz at the 1999 Much Music Video Awards, um, the mm. following spring. It wins Lenny Kravitz a Grammy Award for Best Male Rock Vocal Performance. And then there's also a rumor that Lenny befriends Burton Cummings and comes to his house in Winnipeg uh, for Thanksgiving dinner, bringing along his then-girlfriend, Nicole Kidman.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. So I heard that from a girl who claimed that her ex-boyfriend, who still lived with her, uh, his dad... (laughs) was an acquaintance of Burton. Everyone's got an acquaintance yeah, of yeah. Burton, right? It's so, like
0: everyone's like great-grandfather was a rum runner. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Like claims that he was at that Thanksgiving dinner with Lenny yeah. Kravitz and Nicole Kidman. And I was like, <laughs> okay, sure. Um, so then in 1970, uh, in October, the band releases Hand Me Down World. It's the first album without Randy Bachman. Um, so Kurt Winter and Greg Lescu replace... It takes two guys to replace Randy Bachman. Wow. Like that's, that's where they're at right now. They're trying to get a fuller sound, have guitars so in that way i mean like a lot of bands do that just so that you know they can kind of replicate what's on the record mm-hmm. like if there's multiple guitar dubs or okay. whatever um the weird thing about this record though is that it comes out on dynaflex which is not vinyl but it's like a foldable lightweight type oh, of vinyl so hell. it's not your traditional 180 gram is it um, like
2: cheaper what's the
1: it's just like a gimmick huh. um It's also, like, less breakage during shipping. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fewer returns because people aren't like, hey, my record broke.
2: Or it's, like, warped or whatever, I guess. If it just folds, it's fine.
1: Um, And then I guess at the time, record plants were also recycling old records. So they're grinding them down and reusing old vinyl. Oh. And that doesn't sound as good. Yeah. So there's kind of a shortage on, like, being able to make new vinyl. And so this is kind of this, like, cheap option that they're trying. Mm -hmm. And it's, like... I remember there was an option in like the early 2000s because CD uh, duplication was an issue. Mm. And so they start they come up with something called dual disc where it's like and you like, you know, you can't copy one side and then there's like a DVD thing on the other (laughs) side. So it was just like a whole gimmick. Right. So there's always these gimmicks in the music industry to try to, you know, combat various things. Um, Cover art features a photo of an indigenous man in a wood shop uh 2016 interview with relics.com burton says everybody still thinks i'm native i just thought it was a great idea to put that put him on the cover that guy was 81 years old and we all scampered up a hill for that photo shoot and he beat us to the top that guy was crazy (laughs) snakes had bitten him something like a hundred times this guy could bite a snake and kill it he was 81 not a wrinkle on his face
0: Great. (laughs) Gotta love these Burton quotes. (laughs) Um, It does sound like talking to an old guy in a diner. It does. It It really does.
1: An old guy in a Salisbury house. Oh, yeah. More on that later. Oh. Um, (laughs) So in July of 71, the band releases their next album, So Long, Banatine. Uh, The title, of course, referencing guitarist Kurt Winter moving from downtown Winnipeg to the suburbs, features the band with a red Chevy sporting Manitoba plates parked in front of the apartments at 545 Banatine. Uh, which were later oh, cool. damaged in a fire in 2015. Um, the That's album a d-
0: long song, also so long. Banatine's like six minutes or yeah, something. Yeah, like it's kind it's... of an
1: epic. Yeah, um, this album doesn't do well. Uh-huh. It's kind of begins their downward slide. Um, I mean, on... that
2: sounds niche. I don't.
1: Yeah, I don't like know. it's like it's the more famous they get, the they're still trying to embrace Winnipeg, right? Like they yeah. still live in Winnipeg. They haven't moved to L.A. or anything. Like they're still- That's
2: actually weird they didn't yeah, move that to is, L.A. That is pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, Burton doesn't move to L.A. for a few more years. Um, <laughs>
2: Eventually it gets them all.
1: Yeah, trust me. Uh, <laughs> I keep saying trust me because I know I know what's coming. Um, so that record peaks at number 52 on the Billboard 200. So like I said, not doing as well. Um, so then the, like, I want to talk about Kurt Winter really quick. Um, he leaves his band Brother to join the Guess Who?, Uh, And with him, he takes a couple of Brother songs. He takes Bus Rider and Hand Me Down World, which become hits for the Guess Who, obviously. And members of Brother are like, we never got credit for this. Like, We wrote these songs. And the quote, uh, the the reason I mention this is because the quote from Burton says, it wasn't done to hurt that band. It was done to preserve what the Guess Who had become. What? That's such a, like, I'm sacrificing Winnipeg bands for the greater good.
0: Yeah. Of the Guess Who's success.
1: <laughs> That's so interesting. Like, Isn't so, it
2: supposed to be like rising tide lifts all boats? You would like... think. Like
1: like he really, Burton really wanted to keep the band a Winnipeg band. He yeah. didn't want to bring in a ringer from Toronto or New York yeah. or anything. Yeah. He wanted Winnipeg players. But then Winnipeg kind of starts resenting the Guess Who for stealing the best players from the other bands. Well,
2: and sure. then also stealing their songs. And their songs. And
1: their songs. There's
2: also probably a way to do that where you do use the song with your famous band, but just credit someone, right? The original writers? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Like every time you go out and play it and be like, this is a brother's song, you yeah. know, or something like that. Or also
0: like the gall to play it at the White House and be like, we felt this was a fitting choice yeah. <laughs> for us, but like it's you a know, stolen song.
1: Yeah. Things were a little trickier back then, you know, like <laughs> you could get away with putting another band's name on a record or
0: easier yep. pre-internet probably probably yeah
1: yeah like word doesn't spread as fast so mm-hmm. yeah um february of 72 got another record out it's called rockin uh no big hits on this one kind of the last to feature uh greg liskew on guitar um he goes on to open vox pop studios in winnipeg in 86 runs it till 97 uh big names record their crash test dummies the oh, new wow. meanies so like vox pop was like the studio in winnipeg for a long time um and then it's around this time in 72 that the guess whose accountants start kind of taking a one for them, one for me approach.
2: Oh, no.
0: The band, like I said, uh,
1: they made five million off yeah. of American yeah. Woman Alone. Who's
2: going to notice?
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, Burton says, one of these junior accountants had taken some of my personal money and bought 50 canoes.
2: <laughs> 50 canoes? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thinking he was going to sell them to his friends at a great rate. Oh, my but God. But no one would buy them
2: buy anything else buy one canoe and then anything else i'm gonna
1: corner the market on canoes, <laughs> canoes?
2: for only his friends i don't know because the demand for canoes you know
1: so that, did he
0: have 50 friends who wanted could I like don't know that is the most bonkers plan i've ever like, not heard like
1: diversifying it but just like no no no. i'm going all in on canoes and then this guy the account like screws off and burton gets stuck with 50 canoes oh he winds up with canoes yeah because okay. it's all bought in his name right
2: i i suspect that maybe burton bought all those canoes <laughs> <laughs> and he's like i don't know so the accountant bought these
1: <laughs> 50 canoes
2: what does burton do with 50
1: canoes i don't know maybe he those were like the building blocks for the band rel canoe Was that no? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um anyways uh a year later they release artificial paradise um followed by the album Number 10, which is their 10th like overall record yeah. as the Guess Who, uh, in 73. Uh, Road Food in April of 74. Um, a couple hits on there, Star Baby, Clap for the Wolfman, featuring Wolfman Jack. Do you all know Wolfman Jack? No. no. He was this radio personality uh, in the 50s, 60s. And if you, have you ever seen the movie American Graffiti? Yes. No. Okay, so there's a scene where it's is Wolfman Jack is on the mm-hmm. radio all throughout American Graffiti. Yeah. And then the Richard Dreyfus character is like, We got to find the Wolfman. I got to ask him to like send this song out to this girl I love. And he goes to the studio, and the guy is there, and he's like, Look, man, the Wolfman's on tape. He sends me these tapes and I don't know what's going on. He's like, You want a popsicle? Here, have a popsicle. They're melting. The icebox is broken, man, blah, blah, blah. And then as Richard Dreyfus is leaving, he looks back, and it's the Wolfman all along. Oh. And he's like, Hey, everybody, it's a Wolfman Jack radio show. Like, it's just great movie. Alex, I think you'd really like American Graffiti. Okay. It's the second film by George Lucas, who then made a little movie called Star Wars.
2: I I think I've heard of that one.
1: But yeah, it's like Ron Howard. You haven't seen it, like... but
2: you've heard... I've seen Star Wars. Have you? Not in a long time, but I have seen
1: it. <laughs> You're aware. Yeah. As you sit in a room surrounded by Star Wars action They're figures- They're all looking
2: at me. <laughs> and judging. I have uh, That's Richard... not a figure of speech. Literally, there are Star Wars action figures pointing in my
0: direction. <laughs> I have a quick uh, Richard Dreyfuss story, and it's that um, one of my friends, my cousin, who um, was recently watching just a bunch of Bette Midler movies. I don't know why this was her thing that she was doing. And she was like, Oh, I have one left. It's with that guy with the mustache, you know. And I was like, Tom Selleck. And she said, No. And I was like, I don't know. And then she went, Richard Dreyfus. It's like, The guy with the mustache is how you described him?
1: He does have a mustache. A mustache, but I wouldn't say
0: he's like defined by his no, mustache. No, because in the
1: early days, he doesn't have a mustache at all. So,
0: yeah. Too. No, he didn't. I oh, he had a mustache in the Bat Midler movie. Very weird. Huh. Yeah. It was just a very confusing game of guess who I'm thinking of. <laughs>
1: yeah. Those are my favorite games. A
2: man who may have had a mustache <laughs> at one point in his life. You but know, Burt
1: Reynolds is the mustache man, and at this point, Burton is also a mustache man. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's got his big. He's got his big curly mop. He's got his mustache. He's grinning. Um, and...
0: Oh, there's the very unsettling album cover, Burton Cummings, where he's like smiling and it's just a little...
1: Yes, which is in the Melanie movie. Yes,
0: it is. Yeah, I yeah. noticed that.
2: Oh, yeah, there's a... I... which yeah. is confusing in terms of like the world of that movie. Well, it says the character's name on it. Oh, okay. We'll get into this. Yeah, But yeah. it's
1: literally the album yeah. cover from the best of Burton Cummings as then the, the best of uh, Rick, yeah. whatever the his yeah. name best is. The best of Rick. Yeah, in that movie. Yeah. Um, and I read it wrong. I thought it, was, it said the best of Patrick something. And I was like, his name was Patrick the whole time? It, and that's what Rick was short for? But it wasn't. Um, anyways, Burton decides to leave the Guess Who. Um, he decides to go solo. And this was because after Greg Liske leaves, he brings in, he breaks his Winnipeg rule. He brings in a Toronto guitar player. Um, this guy. Betrayal. yeah Yeah. Um, I guess. Oh, yeah. So Lescu leaves in 72. He gets in an argument at a show, leaves like mid-tour. Whoa. Um, and then Kale leaves as well a few months later, um, followed by Winter and McDougal and like all the like it's just like a rotating thing. So Dominic Triano or Dominic, I think it was like a French name, this this gentleman here. Um, but he has this band called Bush. And if you know anything about 90s music, there was a band called Bush. And in Canada, they had to go by Bush X. Because <laughs> oh. this guy, even though he wasn't touring and, and making music yeah. as Bush, was like, if you use the name Bush in Canada, I will sue you. Huh. So. Okay. Anyways. Um, so, obviously, him and Burton have a real clash of ideas. Um, this guy wants to take it more of like a jazz fusion direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Just
0: imagining if the Guess Who is like Burton Comics, went jazz fusion at one point.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I don't know how long the guy keeps the Guess Who going uh, after Burton quits or if it's just yeah. done. Um. But Burton leaves in October of 75. And this is so interesting. At the last Guess Who show that Burton plays, he says, I took my white stage clothes, everything I wore that night, put them in a pile on the stage while the road crew was tearing down the equipment. I soaked them in lighter fluid and I lit it. And I guess symbolically, that was the burning of the bridge between me and the guess who.
0: And also a huge fire. <laughs> uh, well, her yeah, stage.
1: right? Like <laughs> lighting did, did, a fire on his. And that's like an old wooden stage, I yeah, assume, with like old With like,
0: lighter fluid, too. Yeah, <laughs> and like, like there's like electronics and stuff all around them. Hot I lights
1: everywhere. Like this is a dangerous man um, <laughs> in this situation, anyway. Uh, so this is when he moves to Los Angeles. Oh, okay. And he's going to make it as a solo artist. Kind of starts it off with a bang. 1976, October, Stand Tall is the single. Okay. Big ballad. You don't know Stand Tall? I don't think so. Okay. Well, in the early 2000s or so around Winnipeg, you'd see these stenciled paintings of Burton Cummings' face that just uh, said Stand Tall. Oh. And that was the doing of L'atelier National de Manitoba, a.k.a. Walter Forsberg and Matthew Rankin. Okay. Uh, two filmmakers who've gone on to do great things um but yeah they were doing this whole like burton cummings thing and we'll get into more on that later Ooh. um i'm so, well man we've been talking for a while already but there's still so much <laughs> more to talk about I, I do apologize for the it's only there. been
0: an hour and we did a two-hour episode on the zoo so this is actually yeah, pretty think... good that's by true. i standards
1: <laughs> I, I think i have about 18 pages to get through that's so... about
0: how long was it ginger snooks or city hall I know that's about that long yeah okay. um yeah.
1: <laughs> anyways uh so he moves there stand Tall comes out it's off of his self-titled debut lp it's number one on canada's adult contemporary charts number two in the states seven in australia the song is written about his girlfriend of nine years leaving him for another man and of course it's also written about his split with the guess who so he's telling himself he has to stand tall (laughs) Uh, it's really like a pump me up anthem for burton's it's like a big piano ballad yeah um he's nominated for composer of the year uh at the junos in 1977 the album goes two times platinum and then November 8th, 1976, Burton's first solo gig is at the Centennial Concert Hall. It's so crazy. To, like you can put out an album and then play a show. Yeah. Like the music world was different back then. Um, here's a quote from Burton about that show. I had two reasons to be afraid that night. One, it's the first gig under my own name ever in my life. The second reason was it's my hometown. Instead of four million butterflies, I had eight million butterflies. <laughs> I guess that's a lot of butterflies. It's a lot of
2: butterflies.
1: <laughs> um, my hands are sweating so much, they're slipping off the black keys on the piano. After a few notes of the first tune and a standing ovation, I was never afraid again. <laughs> <laughs> um, a review by... No
0: butterflies anymore.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, all He murdered those eight million butterflies <laughs> uh, with, with that standing ovation. Um, John Korobaniak writes in his review... Burton Cummings began his concert career as a solo performer Monday night by achieving in two hours what his former group, The Guess Who, failed to achieve fully in 10 years. A capacity crowd at Centennial Concert Hall gave several standing ovations as Cummings and his tightly knit band performed almost flawlessly in the opening concert of their Canadian tour. It was a type of response to The Guess Who, Canada's most popular and successful rock group, uh, who'd worked hard to achieve but seldomly got in their hometown. Um, There's a further quote from Burton. Anytime you make a transition from the security of a group and you leave that nest and go out on your own, um, it's tough. I'd always been in bands from the time I was 13 to 27. It was quite terrifying at first. I found my feet as a solo artist. I'm quite happy these days. Um, He releases his second solo record, My Own Way to Rock in 77. Uh, That goes to number four in Canada. It goes two times platinum. And then in in November of 77, the CBC gets in touch with the original Guess Who members about a reunion tour. But Randy Bachman is busy with BTO. Burton's busy with his solo career. Um, They get to Jim Cale. And he's like, wait a minute. And he looks some things up and he realizes that they never trademarked the name the Guess Who.
3: Oh, no.
1: So (laughs) what? Cale and Peterson tour as the guess who without cummings and bachman Wow! <laughs> right up until like very recently wow so they legally own the name the guess who <laughs> they go they tour with like you know a long-haired fake frontman type thing like, oh geez yeah that's embarrassing um then in 1978 burton releases his biggest solo record dream of a child it goes three times platinum uh <laughs> i'm sure he's, a... the, he's the child in question
2: yeah these all seem to be like very about about Mm -hmm. him right autobiographical yes thank you why not sure
1: he's a very successful man he might as well tell people about it (laughs) um it's got some number one hits it's got break it to them gently uh i will play a rhapsody hits number three he releases i'm not even gonna go into the rest of his solo albums because so many of them are just like they they hit the wall they're not big hits they don't even get a release in America. Oh wow, a lot of them. So eight more albums up. So that move
0: to LA worked out great.
1: Works out great for him. He's really <laughs> making connections. Um, he really he hasn't released anything since 2012, so it's been about a decade. Um, but like so his his trilogy of solo records in the beginning, those are his hits. After that, it's just kind of like nothing after yeah. nothing. Fair enough, you know. Uh, the guy's got enough hits under his... More hits than I've sure. ever had. Yeah, uh, I feel like
0: being successful in the music industry for more than, like, 10 years is still pretty good. Yeah, yeah
1: like, to go from being in, like, a massively successful band and then to not fall on his face with his first solo album. But to pretty put out three successful yep. solo albums after that. And then to just be able to, like, tour, tour, tour. Yeah. And yep. do your thing, like, play your hits. It's all good. I mean, he keeps trying to reinvent himself over the years. and Yeah. But it, you know, people want to hear the hits. It takes them a while to embrace that, but...
2: I, that often I think happens with these guys, eh? Is yeah. like they want to go out and play the new stuff, and you're like, no.
1: <laughs> I think you you get one new song per concert from your new album.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's
3: <laughs> like that's
1: that's what. If I go to see a band and it's like the Eagles or something yeah. like that are playing their hits, like I'll listen to one song, one new song off their new album, sure. their yeah. new single. But the rest of the time, I want to hear "Take It Easy." I want to yeah, hear yeah. "Hotel California."
2: Well, it's the same with like actors as well. Like William Shatner, I think, took a long time to come to terms with like. He is Captain Kirk.
1: Yeah, a lot of they fight against that thing yeah. of like, this is what I'm known for. Yeah. Whereas it's like, no, no, which no, I em- I get. Embrace but, it, like, yeah. You have fans for, like I remember one time, uh, Jared Leto, he had that band Thirty Seconds to Mars, right. And they're playing in Winnipeg at the at the U of M. They're playing with I Mother Earth and Billy Talent, and Pepper Sands, and Jared Leto is just in the in the crowd signing autographs and. American Psycho had come out like 2 years earlier and in that movie he's gets axed to the face by right, Christian yeah. Bale, right? And so I go up to him and I grab him on the shoulder and I go, "Paul, Paul Allen, no one takes an ax to the face like you." And he goes, "Oh, you're a fan from that?" <laughs> and I was like, "I guess I'm not a fan at all."
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Future Oscar winner Jared Leto. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've heard he's not not a great guy. No.
1: Allegedly. 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 Yeah. I don't know, whatever. A
2: cult leader, allegedly. <laughs>
1: yeah. Allegedly. Um oh wow. Okay. So it's nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> back yes. to bert Uh November nineteen seventy nine. Burton does his first variety special for CBC.
0: Oh, now we're talking. <laughs> Love it. it's Called
1: Portage in Maine. It yeah opens, it is it opens with Burton in the back of a limo. He's cruising through Winnipeg. He's listening to the radio and they're talking all about how great Burton is. He's playing a show <laughs> that night. Um And he pulls up to the concert hall. He's swarmed by screaming fans. All of them women. Um, (laughs) Did he
0: write and direct this himself?
1: No. I'll tell you who (laughs) directed it after, though. Um, Burton, uh, he he plays a concert. And so the special is, like, concert footage intercut with comedy sketches. Is he in
0: the comedy sketches? Oh,
1: he is (gasps) in the comedy sketches. There's a sketch where he's a goalie playing hockey. And there's a bunch of kids, like, taking shots at him. And then... He's stopping all the shots. So then Bobby Hull shows up, and he hits the. <laughs> this puck. is the
0: most Canadian thing
2: it I've is. ever heard. Oh he
0: hits my the God. puck
1: so hard that it knocks Burton and the net into the stands. Um, <laughs>
2: that, that's the yeah. This is the most Canadian hockey sketch. It's like <laughs> wow, this guy's really good at hockey. <laughs> yep.
1: It gets more Canadian. Uh, he does a game show parody. He does a menswear commercial parody. He does an interview with his mom, Rhoda, Aww, where he just keeps cute. saying, Oh, mom. <laughs> um, and then they show fake black and white video of like a fake young Burton blowing out candles at his sixth birthday. Uh, and then he starts lip syncing, like baby Burton starts lip syncing along. T- and then it's like smash cuts to concert footage of like present day uh, Burton. Oh, yeah. Um, but the weirdest thing, very Canadian, Rick Moranis. <laughs> Love him. Uh, does, does a sketch called Tele Noctu Winnipeg where Rick Moranis <laughs> speaks gibberish as like a um, nondescript ethnic character?
2: Oh no, no. Um, I take back the love of from two seconds ago.
1: Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, and then he reunites with Bachman and Peterson and Wallace as an unofficial version of the Guess Who, um, due to them not having those naming rights. <laughs> um, and that closes out the concert portion of the show. This this whole special ends with him running back to the limo. The girls swarm again. Um, the director of that special is Stan Jacobson, who also pro- pro- directed such perfect variety specials as the opening of Sky Dome, a celebration. <laughs> Wayne and Schuster, the first hundred years <laughs> and the Johnny Cash show. Um,
2: OK, that one, that one's a
0: real one. Yeah, that one. That one people might know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is, we're already like Burton and Randy are not in a good place together. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. Um, they've they've mended fences a little bit. They've played this Burton special yeah. for CBC. Um, but now it's 1980. We go back to Randy Bachman, uh, when he quit the Guess Who, he asked the manager Jack Richardson, the guy who had the rights. Yeah. Uh, to all the publishing, uh, he asks, "Can I have my songs back?" And Richardson flat out says, "No."
2: I mean yeah it would have been wild if it, he was just like sure okay Sure, sure. here's all of your songs <laughs> um
1: it's interesting though because at this time it's just like they're just golden oldies right like yeah, they're they're not really true. worth much right um so years later it's 1980 richardson's built a recording studio in toronto but he runs into money problems he goes bankrupt so he decides to sell the production company nimbus 9 which is the owner of the guess who catalog um randomly apparently uh guess who road manager jim jumbo martin uh, <laughs> is walking by the studio he hears about this and since he's working for burton he goes to him with the idea of buying the catalog a deal is made with an la lawyer named abe summer uh, he secures everything from these eyes onward for burton's publishing company shalala music shalala so in 1981 Bachman runs into Cummings at a Christmas party at Gary Peterson's house and he straight up asks him why he can't have his songs back. Oh no! Burton says oh just call Abe Summer he'll take care of it. The next day Randy Bachman calls Abe Summer. Abe Summer says fuck off Whoa! and he hangs up on Bachman. Bachman sues him. A
2: delegated fuck off. That's.
1: Yeah. Like it's a hard fuck off and hangs up.
2: Incredible stuff.
1: Yeah. uh, So Randy Bachman sues him for the songs. He loses the case. (gasps) No. Um, To celebrate this uh, in September 22nd, 1980, Burton Cummings marries Cheryl DeLuca. Just a thing that happens uh, in between (laughs) and after that happening. Um, And then we get to Burton's only acting credit, the rex bloomfield broomfield film melanie which begins filming june 2nd 1980 in toronto and cl- concludes a few months later in los angeles uh where burton plays the drunken singer rick manning alongside Glennis o'connor as the illiterate title character uh don johnson as her abusive husband carl paul goodfellas sorvino as the lawyer who teaches her to read uh whose name is walter um the tagline is a young woman battles to regain custody of her son. It received seven nominations at the fourth annual Genie Awards in 1983, Does including <laughs> Glennis O'Connor winning best performance by a foreign actress in a Canadian <laughs> film.
2: Where is uh, she from? America. America. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Yeah,
1: it's like that international award at the Junos yeah. that yeah. goes to the Backstreet Boys or whatever, right? Like, right. Um, Burton wins best original song for Save My Soul the song um, wasn't bad yeah it's a good good song the soundtrack Clos- was good yeah closing yeah. credits song uh richard palak and robert guza jr win best adaptive adapted screenplay um but then that award is rescinded because the academy learns that the short story that the screen- screenplay was based on had never actually been published <laughs> so they lose their so it's their, not uh, like
0: adapted officially yeah
1: it's just like yeah we wrote this thing on a scrap of paper right then, yeah yeah um Chicago Sun-Times music critic, or music critic, uh, film critic Roger Ebert, the late great Roger Ebert, said of the film, uh, it's an uneven and sometimes frustrating but very alive movie. And also stated that in Melanie, you see characters fighting against the inconsistencies of the plot. (laughs) Concluding his review by saying, Melanie is a small picture with no really big names and who knows if it will be released. (laughs)
2: That's brutal, man.
0: I love a good Ebert review. <laughs> Who really knows
2: if it will be released? released. Oh my god,
0: just
1: brutal. Uh, the director Rex Bloomfield, uh, which is
2: also such like an '80s director name.
1: Yeah, like just that's
2: what we were saying. Like, sounds like a no, fake one, name. no one, no one posts like 1990 was ever named Rex Bloomfield. Like that, that name just disappeared.
1: Yeah. Um. So Bloomfield follows that up with multiple episodes of such Canadian classics as The Beachcombers, Danger Bay, and The Odyssey. so the film i remember the odyssey yeah i loved the odyssey it was always on before taekwondo class (laughs) wow yeah yeah Yeah, that was the one where like the kid like goes into a coma yeah and he's in like the odyssey and it's like a whole like his bully is like a bad guy in the odyssey i feel
2: like i did see this
1: ryan reynolds plays macro who is like the leader of the bully kids of course yeah good times (laughs) Yeah um so yeah we're gonna t- we're gonna talk more about melanie in the patreon we're having a episode. hard
0: time not talking about it now <laughs> i know I'm sorry.
1: we'll wait nope. we'll wait and we'll talk about it not that we like need more content here we've already been talking for an hour and plus um, it's fine. anyways uh so burton then gets dropped by his record label in 1982 no <laughs> oh no burton. yeah um quote i was a horrible person to be around <laughs> I was out in L.A. I had my crowd. They were all nuts. I hung out with David Crosby. Enough said. My wife, <laughs> Cheryl, okay. really helped me to clean up. David Crosby was like, he was a big like party drug addict. Oh, like, yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. David Crosby, like...
2: Like, he's... I know of him. I would not have known on name alone that he was a huge partier.
1: Yeah. Um, so then Burton starts getting very pissy in the press. He says, in the 70s, we'd been completely overlooked. We being the guess who... Mayor Stephen Juba barely even knew who we were. Yeah, um, but that
0: might be a Stephen Juba thing more than anything else. And this is, I think, Burton Juba ego. had his own stuff going on.
1: Yeah, so Burton's ego is <laughs> He was is busy wearing hurt.
0: toilet seats for publicity stunts. He was busy.
1: Yeah. Um, Burton says, I was telling people that I wouldn't set foot in Winnipeg again, that hell could freeze over and thaw and freeze over again, and I still wouldn't return. Oh my God. Wow. And then in on March 17th of 1985, Burton gets smashed over the head with a beer bottle <gasps> at a Main Street 7-Eleven in Winnipeg. Ugh, and no. this is one of my favorite Burton stories. And there are two short films about this. What? <laughs> what? Remember I mentioned uh, the L'Atelier Nationale du Manitoba? Yeah. Who were posting all of those Stand Tall yeah. uh, signs and things around Winnipeg? So they made Fahrenheit 7-Eleven, <laughs> which is a documentary short <laughs> with... Oh. with that's pretty good. Yeah. Reenactments of this event where Burton gets smashed over the head. Um,
2: is this available online? Is I'll this... send you the link.
1: It's on Vimeo. You can watch oh, it online. Thank you. We'll, we'll have put, to we'll post it for post, sure. Post it in the show notes. We'll post it on our socials. Um, John K. Sampson of the Weaker Thans, Nice. Uh, is is in it. He plays the 7 Eleven Clerk oh. in the reenactments. <laughs> uh, and then also kind of acts as as a narrator throughout the film. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, Samson says, Burton's a lot of things. But in Winnipeg, he's a mirror for most of the citizens, something Winnipeggers use as a reflection and as a gauge. He represents a lot to this place, a lot of good and a lot of bad. <laughs> and then we start, get there's three different people who tell the story about this, followed by reenactments. Okay. Um, first, Jefferson Bishop, who refers to him as Uncle Burton. Now he says, he's a very, this, is, this guy's very pro-Burton. Okay. He okay. says, Burton's a very vocal advocate of the city he's never backed away from that stance even when he said when he
0: said he would come back if he wouldn't come back if hell froze over
1: yeah like and and on the film like they're showing all of the times burton slams with a peg (laughs) in the press like they're showing that on the screen um there was a domestic dispute in front of a 7-eleven he was driving to see his old house in the north end burton decided it shouldn't take place the domestic dispute so he jumped out of his car and tried to break it up there's a drunk couple He separated them and she thought he was hurting her husband. So she went for Burton's eyes and he thought he was hurting his wife. So he took a beer bottle out of his jacket pocket and smashed Burton over the head with it. Get your famous hands off my wife, Burton Cummings. (laughs) The next day when Burton's all hopped up on painkillers, a reporter sticks a microphone in his face and says, what do you think of Winnipeg now? And in his painkiller induced state, all he could say was, Winner peg, try negative peg.
2: <laughs> no. I feel like I'd be like, okay, reset, try that one, let's do that one again. We're going to give you a
1: second shot. We know it's been a long day. Yeah. They eat that up, right? Uh, the second account is from Chuck Molgat, who is the captain of the Winnipeg Wheatfield Soldiers, named after Wheatfield Soul, the Guess Who album. Nice. Uh, it's a hockey club comprised of expat Winnipeg hockey players. Their jerseys are emblazoned with a giant Burton head. Um <laughs> Mulgat says in the film, as I understand it, Burton walked into a North End 7-Eleven while a robbery was being commissioned.
0: Oh, okay. We're up in the stakes.
1: Burton attempts to intervene, maybe gives the, don't you know who I am? I'm Burton Cummings card. And the robber maybe says, look into these eyes, glamour (laughs) boy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's concussed and he maybe has to go to the hospital afterwards i think the media got to him and rather than telling him what really happened he just sort of focused all his anger and frustration on the city of winnipeg saying it was a shithole and he'd never come back here again so that's that's account number two i'm
2: loving these niche that <laughs> look okay, at these that, eyes and like it doesn't matter what the account is Wh- whoever attacked him knew who he, he was, was.
1: Yeah, Burton Cummings folk hero.
2: Yeah. Get your famous
0: hands off my <laughs> wife. your famous hands
2: off my wife. That's one of the best lines I've ever heard.
1: And then we get to the third interviewee who is being interviewed with his mother. <laughs> and they are both Salisbury House enthusiasts. Dale Dale Keller is this guy. They talk about how they go to Sal's and they see Burton there and they talk about everything they order at Sal's and blah blah blah. And we'll get more into Burton and Salisbury House later.
2: Great. Um, <laughs> I can't wait.
1: So Dale says, Bert was in a 7-Eleven and he got impatient. He's Burton Cummings and he doesn't want to wait. (laughs) I heard he upset one of the other customers. That is hearsay that part. But he was bitter about Winnipeg after that. And then in the reenactment, the mom is playing the, the person who smashes Burton <laughs> over the head. It's so, and, but meanwhile, like John K. Sampson is the 7-Eleven clerk. And he's like, this guy comes up and he's like, I've got this Slurpee with uh, Zamboni shavings in it. How much does this cost? Like, it's just so absurd. It's so good. It's like peak Winnipeg 2000s. You can't get any better than this. And then the second film is about uh, Rory LePain was the actual assaulter of Burton and, oh. and this is made by Matthew Rankin, who co-directed Fahrenheit 7-Eleven. Um, and here's a quote from Rory Le Pen in this film. I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. That's a lie. You have to fight. <laughs> what are you going to do?
2: Oh, I lasted, he lasted almost a sentence.
1: <laughs> He's just a character, this guy. He says, I grew up in the North End. I used to always go to that 7-Eleven when I was a kid. You know, steal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in there. I go to buy a pizza pop. She puts it in the microwave. Everything's going good. Now this other employee. Myself, I call him a clown. He says, you're not allowed in here.
2: Is it because he's been stealing all the time?
1: (laughs) So I say, Percy himself served me yesterday. (laughs) Percy's the manager. I walk over and I take Percy's picture off the wall. And I put it on the counter. This guy served me yesterday. He just gave me uh, my pizza pop. Like he stops himself from swearing in the interview. He says, I'll be out of here. Now on the other side of the counter, some guy, short, stocky, leather jacket, unshaven, booze on his breath. He says, hey, punk, why don't you get the fuck out of here? I said, what did you say? we're in the North end here. <laughs> He's referring to Burton. Cummings. I
2: yeah. figured He didn't say, look into these <laughs> eyes.
1: No. So that is, the <laughs> story. is
2: focusing on his pizza pop.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's some of the story from, uh, from Rory. Yeah. Who actually smashed Burton over the head. Was
2: that like him actually being interviewed in the film yeah. too? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I will say that that sounds more plausible to me than the "get your famous hands <laughs> on <off> my
1: one." <laughs> I just love how like it's like a game of telephone, right? Like yeah. all these people have told this story over the years. Mm. All we know is that like some people think Burton's a hero. He's trying to stop a robbery. Yeah. He's trying to help a woman from being hit by her husband. Like
2: it does sound like the guy was like a little bit robbery-ish. Yeah, or, like m- at least a little irritating to the Seven yeah.
0: Eleven staff.
1: <laughs> he just wanted his his pizza pop, pop. Yeah. you know. <laughs> Even though he had been stealing.
2: <laughs> I, I love. I used to go to the seven eleven, you know. <laughs> to steal. To oh, steal.
1: I'd go there, you know, we'd steal. Like just just a good old Winnipeg North End boy, right? As is Burton. Hey. Yeah. So things have changed. He
2: should have known. He should have known not to tell someone to F off in a seven yeah. eleven.
1: So that happened. But then in nineteen eighty seven the guests who are not uh, are brought into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I mean Great. downsides, yeah. upsides. Yeah. Burton's got a, a roller coaster of emotions going on in 91 though he's back in Winnipeg and the Burton Cummings community center at 960 Arlington street opens renamed after Burton it's the community center he grew up you know playing hockey nice. at That's stuff cute. like that um the team there's a team there in a there's like a Burton like uh tournament type thing there's a team called the Burton's bashers <laughs> named after getting Burton getting bashed over the head um <laughs> What's funny is that his signature and his handprints are in the pavement out front, but most of the year they're covered in snow. (laughs) I guess it's the part that doesn't get shoveled. Um, Burton comes to town. He plays the dedication ceremony, uh, does a bunch of classic guess who songs, Albert Flasher, break it to them gently. Um, American woman, no sugar tonight. Um, there's a YouTube video of that whole event. Uh, it's very grainy, VHS classic. He, I watched most of it. He says, "For once in my life, I am at a loss for words. I'll never forget today, never, ever, ever." Uh, Tooth and Nail is his backing band. He was producing that band at the time. They're like, I think they were from Brandon or something. So okay. he's like reinvesting yeah. in Manitoba. Yeah. Like he's starting to like repair the relationship mm-hmm. by the yeah. early nineties. Um, and then in May of nineteen ninety-two, CBC does this little two-part documentary called Wheatfield Soul, where. They go to L.A. with Burton. He's wearing a 92 City FM Rocks jacket, (laughs) which was very big at the time. Um, He's riding in a Jeep around L.A. Uh, He says, oh, you know, we're here in Santa Monica. They tell me Bruce Springsteen rehearses in the same building as me. I don't think you ever really get used to it. I've been here a long time, and I'm still not jaded by all this. I think my heart will always be a Winnipegger, and I'll always look at it from that perspective. So he's really like – the narrative is – I'm back in love with Winnipeg. Yeah. I'm not too big for Winnipeg anymore. Um, and then we see footage of Burton getting to the rehearsal space. And who's there? It's Ringo Starr. Burton, ah! Burton's playing in Ringo Starr in his all-star band. Cool. They're rehearsing for a tour. Um, Joe Walsh is there. Joe Walsh from the Eagles. James Gang. Todd Rundgren. A whole bunch of rock stars wow. are doing this tour with the all-star band. Um. <laughs> Burton's standing there in the in the video with Ringo. And Ringo says, you know, though the band may have faded away, Burton's voice is always what lingered in my book. <laughs> and then uh, the interviewer asks, were you aware that there was a band from Winnipeg that once knocked Let It Be off the charts? And Ringo looks at Burton and goes, he tells me every day. <laughs> oh, that's cute. It's very sweet, very yeah. playful. Like Burton is like blushing oh. that one of his idols, like not only is he getting to play with them, but he's just like, wow like yeah
2: like yeah gassing him up as well yeah yeah,
1: like it's it's a pretty sweet deal for for burton who's you know he's had a bit of a rough go of it with the solo stuff so this yeah. is a real like it's put some wind in his sails i think um In this documentary, he's shown keeping a daily diary on his Macintosh computer.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: He's also shown in his L.A. home that he owns all the pinball machines that he used to play in Winnipeg when he was younger. (laughs) He had them like shipped out to L.A. So he has like 15, 20 pinball machines. It's pretty cute. Um, Then in 93, Burton comes back to Winnipeg and plays a variety club telethon. In 97, in May, uh, him and Randy Bachman reunite for the first time in many years to play the flood of the century concert fundraiser event. Yeah. Cool. Um, So things are, you know, again, he's, he's, he's back in Winnipeg. Um, And then in 98 Burton starts to get another bit of like mainstream success. When maestro fresh Wes drops the latter half of his moniker, just goes by maestro. And he samples these eyes on his comeback song, stick to your vision. Oh, And that's on his album built to last. Now in like, I was 15 when that came out and it was all over much music is massive mm. hit. Like he, the hook is these eyes and Maestro goes, seen a lot of pain in the game. These eyes seen a lot of highs and lows, but that's just the way <laughs> life goes. Like, why am I rapping on a podcast? Um, so it's big. Um, it becomes Maestro's first uh, Canadian chart hit since 91 with when he had, uh, let your backbone slide um, lands in the Canadian top 20 nominated for best rap record at the 99 Juno awards. Uh, and then in 99 also, Burton adopts a band called the Carpet Frogs as his backing <laughs> band. This is a local Guess Who cover band. <laughs> I like, guess yeah. they
2: know all the songs. Yeah, there you go. And You're they set. They know
1: the songs. At this point, um, Burton is like really... Though I like... guess
2: you'd have to kick out the singer.
1: Right? <laughs> Hopefully he's not also the keyboard player because <laughs> yeah. then Burton's getting in there too. Um, but again, he reunites in 99 in August uh y'all remember the pan am games yeah Mm -hmm. uh so cummings bachman kale and peterson reunite they play the winnipeg stadium and it spawns sort of a reunion tour they don't use that guess who name but from 2000 to 2003 uh they're playing all the place they play the 2000 Grey cup halftime show they play the 2003 sars benefit in toronto that's the largest outdoor ticketed event in canadian history wow the stones are Uh there justin timberlake like it is a big deal wow um and then sometimes Bachman and Cummings tour together, like over the years, just as Bachman yeah. Cummings. Yeah. And they do like so they've, jukebox They've repaired heads. their
2: relationship as well. They're working
1: of. on it. It's a very much a business arrangement. Mm. Yeah. Um, like which Penn
2: and Teller. <laughs> Apparently they don't like each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Like the Stones also, like they don't talk. Yeah. Like I yeah. don't think Mick and Keith have actually spoken in, you know, years. Um, but Bachman says in his 2014 book, Tales from Beyond the Tap... <laughs> uh, that his management urged him not to bring up the publishing disagreement oh yeah I or forgot that Cummings would not do the tour so oh. this is from Burton's camp saying like no tour if Randy gets if Randy if Randy gets like you know uh, on him about that thing right. oh um and here's some here's one of my favorite things though in September of 2000 Cameron Crowe's autobiographical film, almost famous comes out y'all ever see almost no. Famous? no really you guys have never seen almost famous okay
2: <laughs> alex has never seen anything i've never seen anything so, i i i can picture the cover
1: yeah with uh, with kate hudson
2: my older yeah. sister had it and watched it yeah. i did
1: not it's it's great it's cameron crowe when he was a teenager he was a music writer for rolling stone he tricks them into thinking he's an adult blah 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 <laughs> and there's this there's this scene early in the film philip seymour hoffman the late great he plays lester bangs who is a like beloved music critic He's a bit of like a punk rock music critic right Mm -hmm. like he is just as famous as the rock stars he's writing about uh he's in a he's in a radio station and he's he's going through all the records on the shelf and he's just like jethro tull the doors (laughs) jim morrison he's a drunken buffoon he's posing as a poet give me the guess who and he opens his jacket and he's wearing a guess who (laughs) t-shirt And he's like, the Guess Who? They at least have the courage to be drunken buffoons, posing as <laughs> poets. Nice. Um, and that actually makes them poetic. And then he picks up the Guess Who live album, and he goes, live? American woman? That's the most brilliant piece of gobbledygook ever. <laughs> uh, in February of 2001, Burton and his friends, uh, then future, now past Winnipeg Mayor Sam Cates, and Guess Who manager Lauren Safer, purchases salisbury house from oh. its longtime quebec owners they owned it for 30 of the 70 years it was around and still around to this day um the purchase price for salisbury house was not disclosed we don't know what it cost mm-hmm. for burton and his gang to get which, in there
2: which cells
1: cells all of them all the cells all the cells burton owns shares in all the cells
2: does he still
1: yes wow um at this point when he buys it, there's over a dozen in Winnipeg, 10 throughout the province. They have big plans to expand. Um, This is from a quote from the Globe and Mail. Um, Burton says, I was over at the North End Sal's this morning and the lady who's been serving me there for years said, hi boss. Um, (laughs) He also, Burton returned to purchase a home in Winnipeg around this time. He buys a house like next door to the house he grew up in. Oh, very nostalgic. He's really getting nostalgic for his time in Winnipeg. Um, He's also still got a house in L.A. and Victoria, B.C. Yeah, okay. Um, Burton's like, it was a very special day. I feel wonderful. Salisbury House is back in the hands of Winnipeggers. It should be. It's one of the crown jewels of Winnipeg. I spent most of my time at the, that North End Styles. I started to learn about girls at the North End Styles. I did a <laughs> lot of growing up there when I was in my first band, the Devrons. We'd invariably go there after gigs. We talk about the latest stuff that was coming from the states, England, Australia. I remember the day Ticket to Ride by the Beatles came out about nineteen sixty five. We're trying to do that high part, that my baby don't care. I'm extremely happy. Like it's to him, this is owning a part of his own personal yes. history. Right. Um
0: This feels like when people would call into CJ and you to talk about their restaurant memories. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I guess most of us like we all of those things. Most of us just can't afford to then buy, buy out. And, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we can't all afford like I'm, I can't
0: afford the truck stop in Morris I used to go to all the time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I can't afford the McDonald's with the uh what was it, the, the rail car that the caboose. Remember that on uh on Pemina Highway? No? no? No. Yeah, it used to have a caboose and it just like it had the play zone, you could do parties yeah. and stuff oh. in there. It was so cool. Um it's where that uh it was a Chuck E. Cheese and now it's like I don't know what it is called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just over that bridge there. Um anyways, 2001, Burton uh, and the other Guess Who members receive honorary doctorates from Brandon University. Burton takes this to heart because he never got his high school diploma.
0: Oh, um, right, yeah.
1: 2001, they're also inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame. 2002, Burton receives the Governor General Performing Arts Award, Lifetime Artistic Achievement Award.
2: Wow. Wow. That's, the word that, award is the in, award in, there in their twice. Okay. <laughs> yep. It's a um,
1: mouthful. Also in 2002, we get to the naming. Of the Burton Cummings Theatre.
2: Oh, 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 I did going rem- ask when that happened. I'm aware of this.
1: See, there is so... What do you, what do you know about this? I remember...
0: I mean, I I did tours downtown, so I would talk to a couple of old-timers who were like, it should have stayed the walker, because it's a part of the history. Yeah. One of those things where it's like, oh, it's a theatre.
2: Wait, let me tell you a story about the name. I was just talking to my little sister the other day, and she said that... I was telling her I was doing an episode on this, and she had not realized that he was not like a man from the 1800s <laughs> because she saw this old theater and was like yeah. oh the burton cummings which does sound like a man from the 1800s the name. entire
0: judge family remains astoundingly culturally relevant
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so
0: it's a good thing your sister hates podcasts so i'll never hear
1: this
2: <laughs> can say all the terrible <laughs> things
0: about openly her. mock her yeah <laughs> um,
1: i don't so... think she'd
2: be too embarrassed about that no
1: at the time, The Walker, uh, it's got a nonprofit board of directors. They're under the gun to raise some cash for renovations. They reached this deal with Burton to hold five fundraising concerts. To date, he has held three. Oh. The first two raised $120,000. Burton's manager, Lauren Safer, claims that they offered to do more. Mm. Uh, a quote from Safer from CBC article says, The first time around, when they asked us to put the name on the theater, they're really desperate to do something because it was volunteer and they were struggling for money everywhere they went we agreed to the shows and every time we said come on we want to do a show well they couldn't get it together because either a boiler wasn't working or they couldn't get occupancy for the building so he's trying to pass it off that it's not their fault that Mm -hmm. they haven't fulfilled their obligation um in 2017 burton makes a new deal with true north who had purchased the building in 2016 for one dollar they dissolved the board Burton agrees to do four more concerts at this time, the first of which is held in 2017. He said then, it's an absolute thrill. I'm honored. Believe me, folks, I don't take this for granted. I'll do my very best. This agreement keeps his name on the sign until 2032. Um, oh, so yeah. I didn't realize
0: it was conditional. No, I, thought it I was... didn't either.
1: Yeah, so he's got this new deal. We'll see if he keeps it.
0: Right. But also, how many times can you change that building's name? Because people know it as like a bunch of that's different like
2: things. The Burt and yeah.
0: the Odeon. Because it was a movie theater for a bit, yeah. so some of people who were alive in the 50s and 60s remember it as
2: that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Burton's going to be pretty old by then. By so...
2: 2032, he'll mm-hmm. have to be doing more concerts to keep it yeah, there. Yeah,
1: we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um.
0: The real <laughs> plot twist would be if it became the like Randy Bachman theater after all of this.
1: <laughs> yep, that would be a good twist. Um. Oh, sad note. May 2012, Rhoda Cummings dies at the age of 90. Oh. Um. Just before that uh in april of 2012 i guess my notes are a lot of order here um the pembina and stafford sals i used to live right kitty corner to that uh at those apartments there um it contains a tribute to manitoba music museum and it features one of burton's early pianos 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. i've been talking for almost two hours my voice is giving out. um guess who memorabilia a working 1948 Rockola jukebox several Fun. other unique historic pieces it's a must see according to that article um, <laughs> is that still there i don't know i I'm... live
0: right by that sal's.
1: <laughs> yeah i've never noticed it um this is interesting uh so we go back to the relationship between cummings and backman yeah um because i mentioned that burton was born new year's eve mm-hmm. uh at the end of each year Randy Bachman would write Burton Cummings a happy birthday letter, reminiscing, talking about how they all used to go out together that night with their wives for dinner, talk about the year they had. Mm -hmm. Um, He stopped sometimes in the 2010s. His last letter was basically, I will no longer perpetuate a lie. We are done. They are not done. Oh, okay. Uh, They continue to keep going. They're on and off love. Um, But in 2017, Burton moves to Moose Jaw. Saskatchewan.
3: Yes, Ew.
1: this is where the dance studio thing. Yeah, this
0: is what I'm aware. For, yeah. okay. um, I wear before.
1: Okay. I want to say though, around this time, uh, after many years of shopping it around, the writings of B. L. Cummings is self-released. Uh, this is a leather-bound poetry book with fifty-two poems. Huh. According to an article in Maclean's from 2012. One publisher rejected it, calling it pretentious drivel. (laughs) The criticism doesn't break my heart, Burton says. Quote, I've had literature professors emailing me thinking it was brilliant. I wrote this from the heart, from the soul, and I'm going to have it come out exactly the way I want it. It's not that I don't care what people think, he says, chuckling, but I don't care what people think.
3: Well, okay.
1: (laughs) He worked on this book for nine years. Uh, He spoke to IndiePulseMusic.com on the eve of the book's release and discussed a great many things, most notably the difference between writing a song and writing a poem. Mm -hmm. It's a different world completely, Cummings says. You write lyrics for a song and they have the armor and the battalion of sound and music and rhythm and someone else is either singing or saying the words. But when you write poems, it's on a piece of paper and that the words have to stand on their own. And those words will always be only in the voice of whomever is reading those words they will always hear it in their own voice Mm -hmm. the poems are much harder to create than songs because they have to stand on their own and they have to stand up in the reader's mind (laughs) so it's a much tougher thing this is burton cummings uh high school dropout explaining poetry versus songwriting to (laughs) us um but hey i
2: I feel like you'd have to be pretty gutsy to release a book of poems yeah right like poetry, poetry is vulnerable
1: or Gord Downie,
2: pretentious, it. according to uh, the yeah. review.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of singers that put out the poetry book. Like I remember Jewel.
2: Garfunkel's book of poetry is all right.
1: Is it? Yeah, well, it's
2: sad. I mean, his. I think he he had lost like his um his like longtime girlfriend or something. Nah. I think Joni yeah. Mitchell has a book too. About... Well, she
1: is like a poet. As yeah. A, as even more yeah. than she's a songwriter. Yeah. Like like she's known for that. Yeah. Like, whereas Burton, like, no sugar tonight is not necessarily poetry, you know? Like, no,
0: I do think, like, yeah. you can kind of bounce between the two, theoretically. There's,
2: I guess it depends, yeah, it depends what kind of songwriting you're doing, I guess. And what kind yeah. of poetry you're writing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I haven't read this book. No? Okay. The, the writings of B.L. Cummings, but... I mean, it's it sounds almost more like a fantasy novel, like... Oh,
4: interesting. <laughs> weird.
1: Because it's, like, a whole leather-bound, like, it's a beautiful-looking book. Like, yeah. Like, he yeah. clearly, like, limited editioned this thing, sold it on his website, Came out the way he wanted it to godspeed you know like yeah great enough yeah that's how people are publishing books these days they get them direct to consumer yep. um july 2018 this is interesting we're in the home stretch here uh yep. over 100 master tapes from the guests who were donated to the saint Vitel museum from tom kowalski who had saved the tapes from a friend of the band someone who was supposed to hold them for six months wound up storing them for over a decade the garage they were being stored in was being cleared out and a day before the mr garbage dumpster arrives kowalski intervenes (laughs) the tapes include album masters live recordings practice tapes, like stuff that was just lost to the ages
2: wild Uh, if that is not representative of winnipeg's fashion of keeping its history
1: (laughs) yeah like don't throw away anything (laughs) or then almost throw it out no
2: but just like keep it in a garage for 30 years
1: Like, oh, here's just one of the biggest Canadian bands of all time. Their master tapes are in a friggin' garage. Yeah. Um, But now we're going to get to kind of Burton's last controversy. This is Burton V Dance Studio. Tuesday, March 19th, 2019. uh, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan article. An owner of a Saskatchewan fitness studio who says Canadian rock legends Burton Cummings complained about her music is facing noise bylaw charges. Kira Ah. Klaassen, who owns Dance Fitness with Kira in downtown Moose Jaw, has said the Guess Who singer lives in a residential building next to her business. Clausen told the Canadian press last week that she's tried to find a solution and even soundproof some walls, but the musician continued to complain to police and the city about the sound. (laughs) A manager for Cummings has said the musician had no comment about the situation. Police say six charges were laid against the business owner after a number of complaints. Clausen declined to comment on the charges, saying her lawyer would be issuing a statement later in the week. She is to appear in court April 18th. Clausen says she moved to the building nearly one year ago. There were no problems for the first five months, and then Clausen said she started to get messages, complaints, and visits from Cummings himself. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of become an ongoing issue that's escalated quickly, Clausen said Friday. Uh, she said police visited the studio four times, but never gave her a ticket. Neither Clausen nor the police said Monday... When the charges were laid, Mayor Fraser told me has said the matter is being sorted out through the legal system, and the city will respect this process. um Yeah. So wow. then a few weeks later, there's a follow up on this is a CTV uh, article. But there's, I found a follow up on todayville.com with the headline: <laughs> Guess who's moving? <laughs> And it's basically she decided to move,
0: yeah, uh, okay.
1: She gave up. Uh, I, would I would also
0: not enjoy it if Canadian rock legend Burton Cummings kept showing up to my place of business and yeah. complaining about
2: you being too noisy. I like, okay, if he's living in the building next door, either he's very fussy or she's very loud, right?
1: But, like he's a rock star.
2: thats but that's what I was gonna say is like, for me, I'm like, I don't like loud noises. I get it. But if, you, if you're a rock star, I feel like it's pretty lame to be like, yep. your dance studio is too noisy. <laughs>
1: like, instead of going over there and being like, hey, can I play the piano for you guys? Yeah. And like, yeah. No, he wants his quiet time.
0: But um, why not buy,
2: like, a house somewhere quieter than a knot next to commercial buildings?
0: Why
1: is he living next to commercial buildings? Yeah, that's a yeah, great question. I
2: mean, yeah, the rest of us, sometimes we got to live noisy places and we don't want to. Burton Cummings could live in the country. He could afford to buy a different, to live somewhere other than there.
1: He has to sell 50 canoes to afford a house.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You could probably fashion a house out of 50 canoes. Probably. I don't know. Stay tuned for a Fork's Warming Hut next year
2: that's 50 canoes. (laughs) They won't be the way you think they'll be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like clickbait to me.
2: Um... End end on end. (laughs) It's really
1: i'm gonna end on a, on, a, on a happy note though for burton yeah and randy um their reunion took place saturday august 28th 2021 at the manitoba 150 concert uh which had been delayed yeah. yeah uh takes place at Shaw park they played a mix of guess who bto and burton cummings solo material there's a quote from burton he says people like steve miller and tony bennett and paul mccartney they're my new heroes i'm turning into one of those guys hopefully when it gets sad, I won't do it anymore. I won't get out there on stage and stay at it too long. But it's not sad yet.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: So that is my very deep dive on Burton Cummings. Thank you for listening. Yes.
0: Thank that you so great. much. for it do- was so fun.
1: <laughs> Did I talk too much?
0: No. no that was <laughs> amazing. We talk this much all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's how these go. Yeah. Okay. You talk a lot. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. We're all chatty people.
1: I just, I wanted to, like, string a narrative together that was like, there's these highs and these lows, yeah. and then just this weirdness that Burton brings. Like, I'm
2: extremely excited to go home and watch the Fahrenheit <laughs> seminal. Fahrenheit <seven>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, me too.
1: I should have sent it to you both before the podcast. But...
0: No, it was a fun thing to be surprised with. because <laughs> got a... I should have listened to
2: some Guess Who songs in preparation. <laughs> I have listened to them before, yeah. so. There's probably a lot more that I would know if I heard them. Yeah, like, like you're around. I know that right? one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Anyways, I think I've talked enough. So uh, if you want to, uh, you know, join us on Patreon, you can hear us talk more about Burton and his movie Melanie from 1982,
0: which is weird. Yes, <laughs> it's a weird movie.
1: I, I encourage you to to subscribe to our Patreon for that three dollars, just to hear. Yeah. Us talk about the movie Melanie uh but yeah what else uh, what else can people look for where can they find us online
0: uh you can check us out on facebook and instagram at one great history on twitter at the number one great history we're also on Redbubble selling all kinds of fun vintage logo tees with old winnipeg businesses and uh stay tuned because we have a collecting conversations bit coming up which we have not recorded yet <laughs> but we will but we okay great Do we know who it's gonna be with yeah, yeah it say? is with uh martine from the morris museum
2: Oh, Samarina's Hometown Museum.
0: I worked there for a number of years. So Martine is my best friend's little sister, and my little sister currently works there. So oh, that'll be it's really a fun. family connection. I don't know what they're going to talk about yet, but nice. you'll find out in like two seconds when you're listening to this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, this has been a super-sized episode. Thank you so much the... for sticking
0: with us. It always really fun, Nick. Thank you for hosting.
1: Thank you for indulging me once yeah. a year. And, uh...
0: Yeah, we're <laughs> excited for next year's.
1: Ugh, I'm going to start working on it now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It'll be like, What? like 30 pages next time
1: no it'll be short <laughs> it'll be something it'll it'll be like i don't know i'll talk about milk or wait we've already done no
2: milk. <laughs> i stole the
1: idea <laughs> um yeah thanks for listening and here's collecting conversations
4: my name is martine i am from morris manitoba and for the past couple of months i've been doing volunteer work for the morrison district centennial museum because of that, I've gained a pretty big interest in history. Yay! Yeah. Nice.
0: Which is very exciting for me because Martine is um, the d- sister of my best friend. And my own little sister does not care for history. So Aww. Martine is more than once. Are we both? been like, you should be my sister. Like, this makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. It works out better.
0: Yeah. So what have you found out about the uh, Morris Museum that you want to share with us?
4: I really didn't know anything about the museum until I started volunteering for them. So I found out that the building actually used to be a schoolhouse, which I didn't know up until, uh, I think it was from 1951 till 1968. And they just built an addition onto it. So the original building has in it a bunch of different collections of like farm tools, vintage clothing, um, school artifacts, and just different records of like businesses. But then in the addition, it's set up to be like a pioneer house. So it's got like a kitchen, dining room, parlor, and it's got like a kid's bedroom and a master bedroom. And it's got some really interesting stuff. Like they have like an old gramophone, a piano. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: photographs
0: in their works also.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I remember when I visited um, there with Sabrina, she showed me this old... um, yeah, was it a phonograph, Sabrina? or a It was a cylindrical, cylindrical phonograph. Yeah, thank you. I was trying to think of the word for it, a cylindrical phonograph with, like, the the cylinders that you play. And I think we played a little polka on there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's lots of cute little stuff tucked away in there. I also used to work there, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> it
4: has, yeah, it has lots of little things that don't, like, need their own area to show them off. But they're, like, lots of just little cool things like that.
2: Mm-hmm do you have um, like a favorite artifact or, or a piece from the collection that you wanted to share with us?
4: Well, the main thing I came here to share is, so through my volunteer work for the museum, I have been doing Facebook posts for them. So on their Facebook, I've been sharing about different historical events and mainly historical buildings. Mm-hmm. And something I have found that the majority of historical buildings in Morris have either been damaged by a severe flood or have been burnt down yep like a suspicious (laughs) amount of buildings have been burnt down with a a weird amount of buildings so I know there's a
0: lot of old buildings that do not exist in Morris like there's we don't have a lot of heritage buildings in town
2: no I I, I haven't noticed when I've been there like a lot of old buildings
4: the two that I think we have are like rebuilds of past buildings that burnt down Like, nothing's original there. (laughs) So I have a list of about 10 different, like, massive fires. Some of them are more interesting than others. But I just thought it was so cool. Uh, Cool. Interesting, I should say. (laughs) How many of them just burnt to the ground? And that was, like, very common. And this is only the ones that made the paper. Like, that's not even all of them. (laughs) (laughs) So the first one I wanted to talk about was... Um, the company Bobrowski's welding so there was one like very prominent family in town the Bobrowski's and they had like a welding like blacksmith business and they had three locations in town so this whole article written about them and about their I guess you could say trials and tribulations as a business as a (laughs) business (laughs) so this article it was really funny because it started with saying like they were a great business doing really well and then in 1948, they were hit with a flood that like destroyed them. Then they were doing well again. They were doing good for themselves. Then in 1960, a fire destroyed the one of their plants. Oh no. Then they started doing good again. And then in 1965, a fire burnt down their main building and the majority oh, no.
3: of their equipment. Oh no. In their <laughs> equipment.
4: Yeah, like they're doing okay now. But like it was just funny reading this article of how. Just like the journey of a pretty standard Morris business that so many of them have burnt down. It's kind of like the norm. The flood (laughs) and then a fire. That's so Morris. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got like even other ones that have just burnt down, like, oh, in 1950, a flour mill burnt down. Then a Morris nightclub burnt down in the 1940s. But some more interesting ones. There was this one, this was probably the biggest fire in Morris history mm-hmm. it was this one building uh, the Hugo Miller electrical shop then the right and red and white store and then this one car garage it was this five hour fire that took place it was massive wow.
0: that's a yeah, long fire
4: yeah and it had the Morris fire, De- fire department at the time and it also had two neighboring communities Low Farm and St. Jean and apparently the Winnipeg Fire Department on standby, that's how big this Whoa. was. This was oh a geez. massive fire that took out like a whole row of stores and resulted in about like $65,000 worth of damage. Insane. So this was in October of 1961. And I found this Morris Journal article about this that began with, fire prevention week got off to a bad start Monday. As <laughs> no, was not fire prevention week. <laughs> Everything went wrong for this town. Like it was so bad. Sorry, I completely interrupted your sentence. <laughs> no, that's it. It was just a bad week. For them.
0: <laughs> it's been a lesson in what not to do. So fire prevention. Yeah. <laughs>
4: At a certain point in the fire, they decided we can't save these buildings. We have to save the ones around them. Like they just kind of gave up on some because it was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. A rough fire. I I think
2: that's kind of what happened in the city when, um, what's the block, Sabrina, that burned
4: down not that long ago? Oh, like the block the West End Biz was in. Yeah. Yeah. I think
2: Mm -hmm. that's kind of what happened there. They were like, well, we're going to try and not let it burn down other things.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So another fire that I have is Morris used to have a movie theater back in the nineteen thirties. And so November of nineteen thirty one, it was funny because it burnt down while a movie was playing about fires. That's just like a (laughs) a a little irony there. But
0: Morris so far has had two ironic fires, which seems like more than the normal number of small town <laughs> It really does.
4: I don't think any fires should be ironic, but it's really on brand for Morris for it to be ironic. <laughs> so when the Princess Theatre burnt down, the reason that we know when it was was actually just very small town. Most of our like dating and like personal accounts for records come from people in the community just saying what they thought happened Mm -hmm. so the reason that we know when this took place is because a woman in the community got in touch with the museum and said that she remembered when it burnt down exclusively because when she went to the wreckage of it a couple days after it burnt down she found a whole pile of coins I guess there was like a coin slot thing there and she stole the coins and gave them to her boyfriend at the time (laughs) that's why she remembers it not because a building burnt down, because her boyfriend got a little richer that day. Not she because, not be because the only self. movie
2: theater burned down during a fire movie. She was like, no, but I found some coins.
0: My grandparents used to go to the theater for movies sometimes, so I have letters from my grandpa where he would go see a movie and then write about it to my grandma. Aww. And one of his was, one movie would have been better if it were a western. <laughs>
4: that was his classic grandpa take on a movie Mm should have been a western that's so grandpa (laughs) (laughs) yeah I just thought that was a funny thing too that's so small town for like the only reason you remember a fire is because of your boyfriend at the time that's just very small town yeah and so I do have one final story about this massive fire that took place for the commercial hotel which Sabrina you know where this is it's now in the it was in the current place of Santa Lucia and this like this is at, like the center of town so everyone saw this fire like it was a massive fire and it took place in the summer of 1962 no one can remember a date they just remember it was like the summer because someone probably came with the random story of why they remember and <laughs> so during this fire they had a I'm not sure if it was a grand piano or a baby grand piano but they, nonetheless, they had this like beautiful piano in the hotel, and the owner of the of the piano, which no one remembers who it was, they just know it had like an owner who really cared about it, stayed in the hotel while it burnt down, huh? to be with the piano, like stayed with it until the very last moment, playing this melancholy music for <laughs> everyone to hear. That's horrifying. That's a that's a horror yeah. movie, Martine. <laughs> The reason I found out that story about the piano was uh, one of the directors or one of the board members at the museum, uh, Linda, she remembers hearing that music because she was sitting across the street on her family's garage which later burnt down and and she heard this music and no one knew where it was coming from. This is something they figured out after but no one knows who like this musician was. They knew that he owned the piano and he supposedly got out but no one saw him leave, no one, like, no one really knew, <laughs> even though the whole town watched this building burn, but they don't remember anything past that. <laughs> so
3: that
2: is so dramatic, <laughs> I, lo- I love, I love that it's so dramatic, but everyone's like, yeah, we don't remember who that guy was.
4: <laughs> it, it's just, <laughs> just thought it was so funny that the entire town watched this, but no one remembers like a date. No one remembers anyone involved. They just know it burnt down sometime yeah. in the summer. What yeah, I also
0: like it seems like everyone knew there was music from inside the building, so presumably someone was in there, and no one was like, "We gotta get him out." <laughs> They're just like, I mean, maybe
2: they tried, so and he was like, "No, I will not."
0: He fought off the firefighters to get back in this piano. <laughs>
4: Yeah, he's just yeah. punching with one hand,
2: playing with the
4: other. <laughs> he stayed with it until the very last moment. I know that because like, he knew he couldn't like save the piano. So I guess he wanted like some final moments with it. But wow. he, was, like, he was pushing his luck. Like, <laughs> that is so wild. Oh my god. Yeah.
2: Well, those that's... are excellent fire stories. Thank, Thank
4: you. you. I-, I thought it was interesting because Morris is really well known for our floods. no one considers fire we should be (laughs) equally as known for
0: this (laughs) considers our other disasters and that's rude of them
2: that's awesome um yeah actually I have a question for you um is there something that you enjoy about like small town history
4: I mean you get these weird personal stories that like why would why would someone remember that there was a piano playing yeah. while it burnt down? Like weird things like that, that there's every single like historical event, there is someone who's got a weird story to tell around it. And by posting like these different things on Facebook, we've gotten to see a lot of people in the community like leave comments saying, oh, I remember that. And then we'll tell the most like out their story about it. And so that's something that's been really cool. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: you've been posting a lot of really interesting things on the museum Facebook. Yeah.
4: It's been We're really getting to see out there. Who's all like engaging with it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you want to tell us uh, where people can find the museum? So the museum's Facebook is Morris Museum Manitoba and we also have a bit of an online collection on the website Archive.ca. It's something oh. where a lot of small communities in Southern Manitoba all have collections on there. Mm-hmm. And so you can browse by like a map and go to any community in Southern Manitoba. So that's pretty cool.
0: You oh, can cool. go find your own local community fire stories.
4: Yeah. <laughs> go and search <laughs> for your own. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Martine. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. I wanted to do this. It's pretty cool. Thank you.